Hello and welcome to the Six Pixels Under podcast. I am Nerd Slayer, your host. This is episode 26. And uh, we have a lot to talk about this week. First, it's a little bit darker in here, so you'll probably notice that. Also, I made sure to actually do my hair this morning. That looks a little bit better as well. Um, let me go ahead and change this to current gaming topics. How is everyone doing today? It's been uh, a week since we've had a podcast. I took some time off. I'll just go ahead and tell you guys about that first. I, my my dog back home, he uh, he got cancer, so they probably have to put him down like any day any day now. So yeah, I was I was having to go through that, and that's never fun and stuff like that. But it reminded me how much I love video games and how much I love doing this for a living. And um, we should have a Patreon video coming out pretty soon that's going to outline a lot of our goals for the channel and some of the stuff that we plan on working on in the future. And then I'm also working on a Kickstarter MMO report card right now, which is just going to talk briefly about some Kickstarter MMOs and kind of like update you guys basically on their progress. I want to end up doing like an individual video for each one once they become launched, obviously, as I would normally do. But at the moment, I was like, I'll just group them all together because there's a lot of them. All right, so... uh, I, I didn't tell you guys, but I'm still wearing my outfit when technically we're below our goal. So right now we're actually at 28 of 50, but I kind of like wearing it anyway. I like getting in the habit of wearing it because I'm going to be wearing it a lot. As soon as I scale up the uh, channel to be able to do more live content, I'm probably going to be in character. So I'm going to be dressed up. So it's kind of like partly get used to it, partly um, partly get used to it. And then, Oh, thank you, uh, Miss Sophia Chan for the uh, Twitch Prime sub. I appreciate that. Uh, yes, we're, t- we're currently at 29 now with that sub. So if um, any of you have a spare sub laying around, um, that'd be, be cool if we could get to that 50 uh, sub goal before the end of the podcast. But maybe another week we could get there again. I think no problem. Taking time off, even if it's just a week, does that to you. All right, so on this week's podcast, we have a lot to talk about. Um, the first thing I'll go ahead and get into is the recent announcement of the Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. And um, we've t- been talking about this before on the podcast. In fact, if you guys remember, we kind of teased this a little bit. We said that Paradox o- obviously owns the World of Darkness IP. We knew that they had been indeed working on some sort of project set in that universe. We didn't know exactly what yet. It was teased to be uh, a Vampire the Masquerade uh, storyline or something related to that mythos. Just because whenever they announced their Tinder app, which is like Bite or some, or Teeth and um, and I believe it's uh, is, are they Norwegian company Paradox or a Swedish company? I believe they're a Swedish company. I can't remember off the top of my head. Sorry, um, sorry, Nor- Norwegians and and Swedish people. <laughs> uh, that being said, we kind of um. We did a little bit of detective work. We were thinking to ourselves, well, they obviously are working on some kind of Vampire the Masquerade game. Coincidentally, at Swedish, thank you, uh, Limpos, by the way. Hello, uh, Limpos. And also, uh, hello to everybody in chat. Um, anyway, so Thanks. they, um, up, oh, I think we got another sub. Sorry, let me read that one out. Thank you, Card, for gifting Ludens a, a sub. <laughs> uh, he, he could use one. I appreciate that. Anyway, um, so we had been teasing that or kind of doing some detective work, and we thought maybe the timeline for their announcement, which we knew was coming in March, had something to do with uh, Chris Avalon also stating that he had a big announcement coming. Now, obviously, um, we can go ahead and watch the trailer on screen. Um, I probably can't do volume, really, 
I've noticed whenever I do volume, I get like disputes on YouTube and shit. So I'll do volume, but <clears throat> I'm probably going to regret it. <laughs> Non-sub mods. Yeah, you're right. That's true. <clears throat> Little bit of backstory on those who aren't familiar with the previous game. If you aren't familiar with it, go play it or go watch my death of a game on Troika Games. Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 1 is a fantastic game. It was done by Leonard Boyarsky and uh, Tim Kane, as well as, um, can't remember, can't remember his first name. I always forget his first name, but, uh, Anderson is his last name. Uh, also, uh, uh Mitsoda, um, also the, was a lead creative, uh, dev or cre lead creative director, I believe. He's currently going to be working on this project. We don't know if anybody else is involved currently except for him being the lead dev as well as the person who was in charge of the soundtrack, which is obviously... Those are two very big parts of the puzzle. Those are probably some of the biggest parts of the puzzle. Um, there are a couple red flags though, and I'm going to do a dedicated video to this to talk about what we know so far and maybe what my thoughts are uh, going forward. It clearly looks like it's back in Seattle. Um, there's the same kind of Ferris wheel. They're going for a lot of the same kind of aesthetic where it's dark, but it's not just pure dark. Like they, they put some level of light in it every now and then. It is pretty dark overall, I would say, but you see how they have the color for the contrast there? Anyway, <clears throat> point being that um, there are some concerns going forward. Now, I would probably say the biggest concerns I have um, the first one would be, what is the story going to be about the, um, what's the story going to be about what platform it's on? Because there's been a lot of platform wars lately between Steam and Epic Games and Discord has a platform now. Everybody's getting their own game launching platform of sorts, trying to rival, compete with Steam. Obviously, there's Origin, there's, um, uh, what's the Ubisoft one called? Um... I can't, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Point being, there's a lot of different competitors and people are worried naturally, where is Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 going to go? And as far as we know, it's going to be on pretty much every platform. Like They, they, they said that it's not going to be locked to any uh, particular platform. So that's good, right? That's a, that's a really good thing to hear. But one of my other concerns as well is what engine are we going to use? And I know for some, they might be thinking, why does the engine really matter? In this case, it's a newer game. It's because like the previous engine they used, the Valve engine, although it gave them considerable problems because they were essentially developing and using it right at the same time or right at the same time that Half-Life 2 was. My problem is with the Source engine, um, it's a very good engine, especially for doing physics, but more so doing facial recognition or facial kind of like, um, whenever, I, I guess I'm trying to think of the specific term for the animation, but it's it's basically like, the ability to animate uh, the mouth and animate words, right? And it's pretty hard to animate somebody speaking in a really good way. I mean, there's very few games that do it. L.A. Noire, um, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 1 is fantastic at it. There's very few examples that are really good, though. Majority of them, I would probably say, are pretty damn bad. And so what I'm a little bit worried about, and I will talk about this more when I make a video about it, is simply what engine are they going to use, you know? So if they're not going to use Valve... Uh, the Source Engine, rather. Uh, Source Engine 2, I believe they have now. If they're not going to use the Source Engine, it's kind of like whatever engine they do end up using, let's say it's Unreal, that's very likely, right, that they're going to be using Unreal 4. I, I hope they can still capture that same aesthetic, but not just the aesthetic, but also the animations, because the speaking animations and bloodlines are, are, are just incredible. I mean, 
Just as a quick example, I'll pull up. I'll pull up the first one and show you guys just one of the early scenes in the game. So you can see like the level that people go through, the level that they went through really to nail down the animation. I mean, this is a game now that's 15 years old. And, and I know for some who are maybe more used to good uh, animations, especially when it comes to like character face animations, this might be not as impressive to you, but this is pretty damn impressive that they they managed to basically match it, you know, almost completely. And it's like, this happened back in 04. This was unheard of back then. So although the engine gave them a lot of problems, the Source Engine 1, it certainly was a big reason why they later on became like this cult classic, right? Because they offered this unique RPG experience that other people have. You play. Thank you, Card and Limpos. <laughs> Appreciate that. Those eyes are piercing my soul. <laughs> um. Right, so that, that, those are some of my basic concerns. Obviously, I'm not really completely worried about it, but um, I do want to make sure that they're going to be using a proper engine. Can we talk about Chris Avalon working on the project? We didn't even get to that part yet. We didn't even get to the fact that, and again, I'm going to talk about this in the video, Chris Avalon and, and the original lead developer on the project are going to be working on this game, as well as the original uh, soundtrack designer. So it's like you've got three big pieces of the puzzle right there. Sure, we don't have um, Leonard Bjarsky's like artistic vision, or we don't have um, Tim Kaine's like programming uh, capabilities, but we don't really need them because I mean things have evolved a little bit, and not to mention they're off working on the Outer Worlds for uh, uh, Obsidian, which we'll talk about that in a little bit because I know that's got some people up in arms, um, including Chris Avalon. <laughs> I've seen him post about it on Twitter, but Chris Avalon is the perfect kind of writer to do Vampire: The Masquerade Bloodlines too, in my opinion. I mean, you just look at. The, him as a designer, let alone a writer, he's done fantastic work. He always likes to really handle kind of the more diverse morality schemes. You know, he doesn't like the ones that are so black and white. And Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines is perfect for that because you have these different clans. Different clans act differently. They have different politics. Although they're all part of the Camellia or Camarilla. Is it Camellia? Camarilla? I can't remember the term. BTMB. Is it Cam Camarilla. It's the Camarilla. Sorry, the Hispanic in me wants to pronounce it Cam Camarilla. <laughs> Camarilla. But uh, anyway, the, 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 the Camarilla, Camarilla is how I would pronounce it. Sorry. <laughs> That's uh, basically like the vampires, right? Like all of the vampires. And uh, although the factions are all part of it, at least the major ones are, there's a couple non-factions that are kind of like exiled and stuff and usually end up getting beat. You have these different factions, but the interesting thing according to, and again, this will be talked about more in the video, but the interesting thing about the story in Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 is it's going to follow suit in terms of being a newly turned vampire. For those who aren't familiar with the series, that basically means you just got bit and you're about to turn into a vampire. It might sound like a normal occurrence, but in, in Vampire the Masquerade, it's actually, it's against the rules to just bring in another vampire without consulting the other houses because, it, as you could see, it, it would be a recruiting spree. They would just be infecting all of Seattle and trying to recruit as many vampires as they possibly could. The reason why that also doesn't work is because sometimes, depending on who bites you, you have a weaker blood of Cain. And what that means is you're essentially not as um, pure-blooded, which makes you a thin blood. And thin bloods are exiled, unfortunately, in vampire communities and human communities. So really, being a thin blood in the Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines kind of like universe or just the Vampire the Masquerade period, 
it's um it's kind of like being like an outcast really um or my, <laughs> for some reason i was thinking inwa from morrowind you know everybody always talking about how you're this outsider by the way morrowind is free to download right now but unfortunately you got to use the bethesda launcher so sorry about that let's go ahead and move ahead uh to what I was just recently talking about, which was the whole Outer Worlds and um, Epic Games platform. You've missed about um, 14 minutes or so, Ulysses. Welcome, by the way. All right. So I know this has been a huge story and people have been pretty pissed off about it all. It came out that the Outer Worlds, aka Obsidian's newest fallout slash borderlands style game that's supposed to be more of like a contained rpg experience closer to like kotor they said themselves that's the one that ironically enough the guys we were just talking about who worked on the first vampire the masquerade bloodlines are now working at obsidian and working on the outer worlds tim kane and leonard biarski specifically now there's been some kind of like bad news in this regard it turns out that the outer worlds and control uh, I think there's a couple other games too. But let's just leave it to The Outer Worlds for now. That's the one that I know the most about. The Outer Worlds is going to be launching on the Epic Games Store following a year release that then launches on Steam. So obviously this... <laughs> I feel like at this point I don't need to preface this with why it pisses people off. It's because they they hear that the announcement of this game, they're so excited to play it. Most people use Steam. And so whenever a developer announces that they're going to not only launch it on a different platform but they're launching it on a different platform for a year exclusivity. Then they're going to launch it on Epic Games, or sorry, launch it on Steam Store. Basically, it has people up in arms for a number of reasons. The biggest reasons are they, they talk about failed promises. It's not truly a failed promise, but it kind of is in some cases, if you want to be technical. Uh, there's other criticisms, say for example, I don't want to use Epic Store. I think it's you know not as good as Steam and whatever, you know, whatever your argument is for not wanting to use Epic Store. So why are you forcing me to use it? Whereas Steam is a lot more kind of like more so accepted. Now, there's a pretty obvious reason why a developer uh, would not want to use Steam. And that's just because if they don't believe that the cut that Steam takes, which if I remember correctly is 60 to 70% of the, uh, of the profit, or sorry, revenue, um, 60 to 70% past paying for the cost, I believe, depending on how you're, your relationship is structured if you have a publisher or whatever else the point being is developers aren't really they don't really want to go to steam as much because although it only costs like a 30 percent, thank you um card 30 percent. I, I don't know why i always get those numbers mixed up so 30 percent is the number sorry on steam and i believe epic is promising a slightly lower amount though steam did recently lower theirs as well so i'll have to pull up that that information in particular so 30 percent and then it gets lower depending on the size of the title. Gotcha. Yeah, so that doesn't seem like a whole lot to maybe an indie developer, right? Maybe if I want to make my own video game, it's not really a big deal to, to kind of miss out on 30%. Like 30% for me, it's like, shit, I pay $100, get my game on Steam, which is a massive platform. And then you're telling me you're only going to take like the 30%. It's, it's not too bad, right? But, oh, uh, Limpos says 15 million in sales was like 15%. That's a lot of money, guys. Let's just do some basic math to see that the money that they're, you know, potentially at least, leaving on the table. 7.5 million they're just handing to Steam. I think that's kind of worth it. Which, again, that's a personal argument. 
I'm not trying to make a personal argument here more so as just talk about kind of like both sides, I guess. Um, I think that that would be worth it, especially if you're like a smaller game developer. It would be it would be absolutely genius to do that. Like that's the lowest they will go, Limpos. Thanks for uh, finding that out. I appreciate that. So apparently 15% is the lowest that they will go depending on having really good sales. So no matter what, you're going to give up at least 15% of your profit at the very minimum. And that's if you sell really well. All right. And so Card brings up a good point here. He says that I'm okay with competition, but Epic Store has question marks all over it. Why don't I just bring you in? We could talk about it. Hey, Card. Hey. All right. I want to hear your, your thoughts and your take on the whole Epic Games Store. That's a good one. I have not been looking into it too much recently. So I'm not sure if I'm the best person for this one, but from what I heard before, there's just a lot of questions around their end-user uh, end license agreement thing in regards mm. to some questions in regards, especially compared to European laws. Right. Also the fact that reviews are optional. So it's not like you need to have reviews on your product, which I think should be one of the mandatory things in an online store and just like provide those things. <laughs> Sorry, right when you said that, I loaded up this. Here, let me let me give this to you in the podcast uh, lobby. But um, it's uh, check this out. It's people review bombing on Trustpilot. Epic Games <laughs> and the recent reviews. <laughs> Exclusives are anti-consumer. Throwing some Fortnite oh, yes. money around to steal the choice from consumers, the EGS client accessing information on your PC without permission, and the CEO pu pulling a complete 180 used to criticize Microsoft for doing the same crap, and now they're doing it now. <laughs> Pretty much. And then he pointed I mean, out that, did you know that Epic Games is 40% owned by a Chinese mega corporation? It's actually more, by the way. They own a controlling stake now. M many people don't know that, but Tencent owns a controlling stake of Epic Games, and they have ever since the success of Fortnite. Yeah, they have been in charge of Epic for uh, a substantial time now. It's, it's just like, man, there's, like you said, really, there's so many question marks. It's like, is, is Epic Games really the savior anyway, even if they're trying to be? Like, can we really trust them to like save the the day? Even just on the basis of that, not necessarily, right? Especially with Tencent owning such a large percentage, we saw how they just kind of abandoned Paragon, even though that wasn't really a bad game. So I, I think that uh, there's a lot of good criticism. Not having or having optional reviews seems kind of um, backwards. I would say, like optional reviews to me right now, it seems like we'd be going in the opposite direction. Because really, like, let me be the first to say. Please don't review bomb, guys. I hate review bombing. Like, I'm so against review bombing, and I've ranted about it before, so I won't go too much into it. But review bombing does not help the scenario. All it does is just create mass outrage for reasons that people don't even really know sometimes. For example, they look at a game and they think, man, this game is super loaded, or sorry, rated low. Like, I don't want to play this game. But in reality, people are just bombing the game. They're not actually reviewing it because of the game. They're reviewing it because they're pissed off at a publisher or they're pissed off at a developer. This happened with Metro uh, Exodus. Um, we talked about this before where people were review bombing the game and sorry, but it's a good game. Like I, I realize people were pissed off by the, by the business decision, but just like in the case of The Outer Worlds, you can't blame the, the developer. You have to blame the publisher. And here's the proof to that. I was going through this and um, I found some interesting information. People were mentioning how 
oh, why would Obsidian do this? This is stupid by Obsidian. How could Obsidian do such a thing? When actually, according to like the developers who work on the game, and I'm not trying to say upper management didn't know about it. You know how that is. There's deals behind closed doors and shit. But I'll, I'll put this uh, article on screen. The Obsidian team literally hours before uh, The Outer Worlds was announced as an epic exclusive was working on Steam achievements. <laughs> That's how last minute it was. The developers were still working on their Steam achievements, and then all of a sudden they got the rug pulled out from underneath them, and now people want to review bomb the game or review bomb, you know, other Obsidian games, and it's just like, guys, let's take let's take some time here to like slow down and think about what the real problems are. The problems are the publishers, guys. It's the publisher wars. It's the publisher wars, and I completely understand all of those things, but if you want to compete with Steam, try and compete by offering a better service for the consumers. Because it's true. And that's also like people that are trying to review bomb shit, like stop review bombing and just be voting with your wallets. Don't buy it. Exactly. It's that, if, we, if we just say together, like, you know, we don't like the Epic Store, we don't like what it's doing, we're not going to buy anything on it. It's going to die within months. Exactly. There's no revenue. Yeah, and, and then that, in that case, it, it's not going to harm the developer, who essentially, I'm not trying to say Obsidian Upper Management had no knowledge. Chris Avalon is doubtful of that, and he used to work there <laughs> as Upper Management. So I'm more inclined to believe him, though you could say maybe he has a vendetta because he used to work there. There's a lot of different angles. I think the main point is that um, doing exclusives just seems like not the way to do it. Like, and I, and ultimately speaking, I understand business. I, I, you know, I've been a part of a business. Basically, I started working in a construction business when I was like 17, and I worked there all the way until I was like 24, 25, basically until I went full time on this channel. So I've been around a lot of sales, I've been around a lot of different businesses, big projects, and I can just tell you from personal experience. Doing an exclusive deal where then you then promise them the actual deal like the year later or something. I just I can't think of that feasibly working in any scenario I've ever been in. Like I feel like any of my clients would have been so pissed at me if I told them, hey, you're going to get access to this material for one year and then I'll let you have access to the rest of it. <laughs> it's like they would have been like, wait a minute. <laughs> you promised us that you'd get us access to this. I want access to this now. And obviously... The platforms are a little bit different, but in construction, it's actually very similar because you also have retailers that you go to to buy material. So at the end of the day, if you're going to make things completely exclusive, other people are going to do it. And, and like you said, if your straight up competitive edge is worse than Steam, you're going to look horrible after all of this. I think Epic Games is going to look pretty bad after all of this. I mean, it's... I pretty much like Epic Games has a reasonably good reputation and just like, well, let's see how quickly we can turn from having a good reputation to being another EA. You know, like what Blizzard, Activision Blizzard has been doing pretty much the same thing as played. That's a really astute point. Uh, Ludens, Ludens in chat said, um, my moderator said, uh, Discord started winning over D TeamSpeak, Skype, Curse Voice, and other VOIP software. Like, I I'll name the couple other ones for you. Don't worry, I'm a massive nerd. Uh, we got Mumble, <laughs> Raid Call, oh, Mumble. <laughs> Raid Call, Mumble, uh, Ventrilo. <laughs> Sorry, I'm dating oh, myself. <laughs> I, remember. I remember. Oh, man. 
No, but I, I totally agree with that. Discord wins out because Discord to me, and maybe you you disagree because I know you've been involved with IRCs and chat rooms before, Card, but Discord reminds me of like IRC with a voice chat, basically. <laughs> That's kind of what it reminds me of. It's an excellent chat. And the problem is that the voice chat part of it is kind of rubbish. Like it works with a couple of people, but as soon as you get more people in the channel, it's it just craps out unless you stop paying for it. Yeah, it also depends. Yeah, I was going to say that. Sorry. That it depends on if you have like the premium or whatever. Yeah. And at that point, it's like, you know, if you really need better voice chat services, I'm sorry, but something like TeamSpeak or Mumble is just superior because of all the options they have in regards to the voice chat side of things. But for just ease of use and being a good chat server, great interactive tool for people, communities, and also like in your case, you know, YouTubers and stuff like that. It's so easy to use for everybody. So that's just a great point. Yeah, exactly. And and being being easy to use really is like the reason why, in my opinion, Steam is still where it is as well. It's like, yeah, it was one of the first, but what I like about Steam and have always liked about it is that it's pretty simple. Like the, the interface is pretty simple and they haven't really changed it a whole lot. So, I, man, it just, I feel bad for the developers, I guess. And I'm trying to ask people to kind of like, open their hearts a little bit because they're just ultimately making the games that they want. But I think people are really starting to realize that all along it hasn't been developers. It's been publishers. <laughs> I mean, we know that <laughs> I've done way too many death of a games to, um, to not notice that myself, that publishers are the ones that come in and kind of muck things up. And, um, that's why in large part, the MMO market kind of shifted towards being crowdfunded. Now, that has its own problems, which I will outline in the video that I put out in a couple of days. But um, it's still, it's better than not putting out more games. <laughs> That's for sure. Amen. All right. While I have you here, um, well, actually, I'll mention one more thing before we talk about Google Stadia or Stadia. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I know that one's going to be opening a, um, a can of worms as well, similar to the whole platform discussion. Well, I mean, really, those types of platform discussions get people so heated where they won't even listen to your opinion. For example, I'll mention to people that I like to see competition, and so people immediately think I like Epic Games. It's like, no, 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 no. I like good competition. <laughs> if Epic Games proves not to be good competition, then that's what happens in competition. You lose. You know, like in the market, you're going to lose market share. You're going to lose um, control. You're going to lose uh, revenue. But I like competition in that, like you said, if there's somebody who does have the checkbook and the ability to, to rival Steam, even on a small niche level, I'm all for that. I mean, look at GOG. I mean, I know they're not doing amazingly lately, but I think that GOG is interested or interesting because they focus on non-DMR shit. So I, I, I like when companies kind of find a different way to like fill an, a, a niche, if you will. GOG has classic games. They don't like DRM and that kind of helped them out a lot. Like I think in that regard. So it's not that I don't like, or it's not that I, because I like competition, I'm automatically going to like Epic games. It's just that it sounds fucked guys, but we kind of need companies like Epic games to muck things up in order for us to realize that's not what we want to do. It's, it's unfortunate reality of kind of businesses. It takes people messing up to realize, Hey, maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. And, um, if it's going to, if there's going to be comp competition for Steam, it's going to be rough at first. <laughs> I didn't think it'd get rough this quickly, though. <laughs> I think even Epic Games didn't realize it'd get rough this quickly. I mean, 
to be very honest, like even if you make a very consumer friendly store portal, like Steam is so ingrained, it has it has such an enormous lead on any competition that is out there on the market. Like even EA with things like Origin, they're they just they're like, yeah, we're just gonna put our own stuff on here, but we're not really gonna bother trying to compete with Steam because well honestly you can't really because there's people are just ingrained into it. Like you got some people have got thousands of games on Steam. How are you going to get people like that to move over to your platform? Right. And somebody in chat brought up a good point. Uh Zila said, wouldn't good competition be to allow games to be purchased through all outlets rather than restrict a player base's choice. And it depends on who's competing. That's the funny thing is that you have to answer the question of what, who's competing in that scenario. Because in that scenario, it's games competing against each other. So theoretically, developers competing against each other, which is what consumers ultimately want. I think the problem with um, competition between different platforms is that it's inevitably going to be a competition between uh, publishers because developers can't afford that kind of money, obviously. They can't throw away that, or throw around that kind of money to have access to a platform. Obviously, Epic can, uh, can especially with their recent in, you know, influx of Chinese cash from uh, Tencent. But that being said, in that scenario, the publishers are competing, which when publishers compete, it kind of does mean like shit for the consumer. So I get what people are saying when they say, isn't it better for just, you know, the, essentially the games to compete against each other, release them on all platforms and, and operate in that fashion? It does, but you have to remember that's a consumer perspective. I also try and look at things from multiple perspectives because, you know, I'm not trying to just look at it from a consumer. I'm trying to also inform people, maybe let them know maybe things are kind of missing in I think that when it comes to platforms competing against each other, and this has been said by Microsoft before and other people, I'm not the first to ever say this, but it's a battle between the publishers. Like the next, the next couple of years, these platform wars, it's going to be a big battle between publishers. And unfortunately, that means there's going to be a lot of developer casualties and consumer casualties. It's similar. If they wanted to compete in a way that's good for consumers, they would indeed sell them on all platforms. And Epic would just say like, you know, instead of uh, Steam taking 30%, we take 15%. So if you buy the game on our platform, you can buy a $60 title for, I don't know, fifty two fifty. Then it's going to be beneficial for the consumer to be saying like, hey, okay, you know, maybe I don't fully like it store, but I can get a cheaper product over there. And it's still, you know, if outside, like they would just have reviews and not all the other bullshit that they're currently doing then it would be beneficial for a consumer. And then you start to compete for consumers. But we're not competing for consumers in this case. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think that's where kind of like the major problem uh, lies. Now, one thing I wanted to mention, speaking of big uh, publishers, before we get into the whole Google you know, Stadia talk, because I, I, there's a video on their website that we can watch. You know, It's like a minute long, which I think will brief the audience if they haven't already seen it. But... um. I wanted to talk about some interesting bit of information. You know, you guys know that I love adventure games and I love Star Wars games. So it caught my eye when I saw some recent news that perhaps Disney is uh, going to take away their um, uh, licensing from EA, right? That's one of the theories. Or they're just deciding to, for some reason, redo Lucasfilm games. Now, this isn't LucasArts, so it's technically not the same you know, legendary, you know, team of, or developer that, you know, was known for doing all of these adventure games, all of these great Star Wars games. But it does have me a bit interested just because Disney previously had said that they weren't really interested in doing their own games. 
in fact that they said that they hadn't had the best history with doing such. And so they like to leave that to other people to kind of handle. Now, apparently Disney just recently confirmed that that doesn't mean that the EA partnership is going to necessarily fail. But why would they come out and admit that? In fact, let me let me let me put something on record now, because I, I notice something a lot whenever we talk about uh, different articles and different news sources and really just different stories. It's listen to the whatever the story is. Right. But immediately be skeptical and think, OK, how do I know this is true? And think. All right, so what does Disney have to gain in doing this? And in this scenario, when Disney comes out and says that they're you know, remaining committed to their EA partnership, think about it from a business perspective. On what planet would they say that they wouldn't? You know what I'm saying? Like, what planet would they come out and say, no, you know what? We don't support EA. No, they would just end the contract. <laughs> they're not going to come out and just like badmouth the guys who are in charge of their, their video game IPs. Like, what the heck? It doesn't make any sense to think that. I mean, it depends on the relationship. There are relationships which, like, yeah, there are contracts in place, but it's just like, you know, one party just fucks up so much that the other party is really like, you know what? Fuck it. We just didn't give a shit anymore. The return of the moon logic. I, th- I, I mean, it could be that. It could be they don't really care as much about it and, and they're just kind of, you know, they want to get a certain amount of uh, money from it. But one thing's for sure. They spanked EA over Battlefront 2. So that, to me, at least says that they're aware that there could be possible problems. Now, ultimately speaking, based on the money they probably make off of that mobile game, (laughs) they're probably not ready to abandon EA yet because they're pretty good. You know, EA has problems, but they're damn good at making money, which is good for a company like Disney who, you know, owns ESPN, owns, I mean, just about everything at this point. It's like a massive conglomerate, a media conglomerate. So anyway, I just wanted to point this out. It doesn't necessarily mean anything yet, but it is interesting to kind of see early hirings and and for senior positions as well for a new company or previous company, technically, uh, Lucasfilm Games. So it's like, hmm, I wonder if they end up getting some senior talent and decide to kind of do some separate games and, and that way they kind of make it to where EA isn't producing everything. But if they were to do that, let's think about it from a perspective of this, like, why would they give EA exclusive rights to making video games if they make their own video game studio? It does kind of have you like, huh, unless they're not going to do Star Wars. That's the only thing I could think of. But then it's like, wait a minute. If it's Lucasfilm Games, why wouldn't they do Star Wars? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I guess uh, right now it's too early to tell, but I thought it was an interesting thing that was worth mentioning. All right, so we can talk about um, the whole Google Stadia, Stadia, however you want to pronounce it. I'll put this up on screen. And um, I wanted Card to talk about this because uh, he showed me a pretty good video that talks a lot about the tech and also maybe some of the possible ramifications of the whole system. If you haven't seen the video already, it's pretty short, so I'll go ahead and just show it to you guys now. I don't think we need to listen to the sound here. Now, while this is kind of going on, um, it's not—it's not a console. Uh, although it has a controller, it's not a console. So that's the first thing to get out of the way. Many people thought it was a console, but they're going for basically a cloud platform or a cloud console, if you want to call it that, I guess. And that's obviously something that has been attempted many times now, 
but has never really worked in any serious capacity. I mean, I've never seen it be a fruitful business that had any level of longevity. Now that could just mean that the tech isn't there yet, kind of like with the VR market. The tech's not really there yet for it to boast anything uh, or showcase any really, really good, uh, sorry, good games. Excuse me. Um, but uh, let's just go into it, right? Let, let me get out of the way, just like the basic shit, and then you can kind of give me your thoughts. Um, for Again, for people who don't know what cloud means, it kind of means you can play basically like anywhere, like on any kind of device that could obviously run the game or has access to a high-speed internet connection. Um, you can play games and videos through YouTube, which is not really even uh, sure what that's supposed to mean. I know that I've seen the tech demo where the guy loads into Assassin's Creed basically like within a couple of seconds, closes out and then loads in again in a couple of seconds. So they're showcasing that you can kind of plug, play, or 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 more so cloud like drop and play or or uh connect to the to the net and play. Where it doesn't matter if you necessarily have a good PC or or you know an Xbox or whatever else, you can kind of play it on basically whatever platform can run it. And they're also trying to boast. I say trying because I think this with a grain of salt, but they're saying up to 4K HDR at 60 FPS. <laughs> the fine print says here very, uh, very cleverly that the 4K HDR at 60 FPS is dependent on your bandwidth. Gameplay experiences may vary based on quality of internet connection. And then you can play instantly, kind of like I was just saying. There's no downloading. You don't have to update anything. You can just kind of like drop right into whatever game you want to play. Sounds Sounds kind of awesome, right? I pitched it as like this amazing thing. And now I want you, Card, to tell everybody how maybe it's not so amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's sadly like, it's one of the things like, before I go into like, it's not all that amazing. I would like to say one thing, like, I love the idea behind it. And I really think if it could work, it would be a very good solution for quite a lot of people. But I don't really think it will work. So I actually wrote a, just for myself, a two-page doc word of note, keep a little bit track of it. But what they're promising is to bring triple A no level of gaming, between the general quotation marks, of course, to any platform that's pretty much connected to the internet. So be it PC, be it your mobile phone, be it a tablet, laptop, and maybe even the consoles or, and televisions. The controls you could use, they show their own control, which they developed, of course. Selling some hardware is a nice way to make some extra money, but it will generally work with just about anything. However, we're talking about running a game on a server and then going and bring it to your computer. Pretty much like you're watching a YouTube video. The problem is that with games, you need to send something to the server to do something, and then the server needs to display it back to you. But before you like the main issue in this regard is going to be from the technical standpoint, it's just your infrastructure. The internet infrastructure is just not really capable of handling this. I mean, if we're just looking from a bandwidth perspective, which is not all that difficult, but still, like a minimum, they state on their website, a minimum of 25 megabits per second for 1080p. So I assume that will be 1080p 60. Hmm. That's the minimum connection that I list for that. 25 megabits a second. I know people here in Western countries that have connections which are lower than that. It's not that common anymore, but there are still a lot of types of connections that just can't handle 25 megabits a second. And people may not have 
other options really. Now, if we're going to scale it up all the way to something like 4K HDR, you could easily be looking at needing 100, 150, maybe 200 second word of internet in order to go with the amount of data that you need to uh, download in essence from the server because you're streaming from the server just like you would do a video. Now, and a very important thing that people mentioned is black. They've shown us things and they range like, oh, we've got about 166 and something like, oh, we got between 60 and 90 MS input lag. These are going to be absolute ideal scenarios. Like they're not going to show you anything that's going to be bad, of course, because you know this is something like we're trying to show for a project. We want people to be keen on it. So maybe in my case, I live very close and I've got a very straight direct connection to the uh, Amsterdam Internet Exchange. It's one of the larger hubs here. So when there are servers nearby, and I know that there are Google Play systems nearby, I probably have decent latency towards them. But still, if they are advertising around like 166 milliseconds, as a PC gamer playing with a keyboard and mouse, that's horrible of of an experience. I mean, just think about it. If you play an MMO and your server latency to the server is already like 120, 150, you start to notice it. Now, if you go into action games, you're going to start to notice it even more. But now you're going to play to, with your friend, which is on a different line, and his latency is even longer. So at that point, you go, go to, say, 250, meg, 250 MS of latency. At that point, like even a console gamer on a controller is going to start to notice this. They're going to be like, this doesn't feel right. And that's, I think, something that people underestimate a lot of time. That knows, but you'll feel it. It doesn't feel enjoyable <coughs> if you have a lot of latency to play games. I've seen some so, arguments that, where people are saying like, well, this is not for the PC audience or the console audience. This is for kind of like another audience. So an audience that isn't currently being serviced. Maybe they won't care about the player, performance. You will care, they may not care about the performance in aspects like graphics, but they will care about, responsive, about the, responsibility, the responsiveness sorry, of the game. If a game is not responsive to what you're trying to do with your input, you will notice it. I don't care if you're a casual or whatever, you will, you will notice this because it doesn't feel nice. You're telling a game to do something and it's like, why is it taking so long before things are happening? Why am I dying to this boss because my dodges are never happening? I don't think that even, I don't think that a casual will not notice that. But that's a personal opinion. I could, of course, be completely wrong in that. I think that it's um obviously you brought up the majority of the 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 major issues input lag. Oh, we got some we got another one. <laughs> oh, okay, I was going to say I think there's one a good one you're missing. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if this is the one you had in mind, but data caps. Like there are still a lot of places true that have capped internet. Canada is a big one. Canada, I know Belgium has it and of course also capped. And if you're just looking at the amount of data that you will need for, from what I've seen from some other, from some people that tried it, who reported like two to three, three gigabytes per hour, but some other people are like, yeah, but on this service, I needed like five to seven gigabytes an hour. And then you're talking 1080p, if you're going to bring it all the way up, like 
that's going to chew through data at a very substantial rate. And that is going to be a limiting factor for quite some people as a result of that. I agree. And not to mention, there's that, but there's also the, the thing that I was going to mention um, that people have uh, humorously dubbed always online DRM. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have that listed lower in, uh, in under the games themselves, yeah, section for my notes. Yeah, well, like, I personally, you know, having been somebody who's obviously been playing games for a long time and, and had old school discs and stuff, obviously I understand the many, many, many problems that come with DRM uh, just because you can't even trust them. <laughs> you can't even trust the people who are putting the DRM on your PC because there's been tons of scenarios where it fries people's PCs. <clears throat> people get um, People can't even play the game in many cases because of these DRMs and stuff. Obviously, these DRMs exist because they don't want to be just pirated and, and lose out on the money and, and whatever else there. But in the case of, um, of, of Google Stadia, to me, the interesting thing about it is that, you know, obviously, like the hardcore audience is immediately going to mention the, the DRM part. But what I find interesting yes. is that I wonder if like the, the, the more casual audience is going to care so much about that in particular. I don't really think they will. So you're probably right in that it would be like a, a more minor point. But for somebody like us, you know, somebody who really just follows my channel in general, uh, practically most of them are going to be people who are more so PC centric. And so they're going to have, you know, a little bit better hardware or whatever. And kind of like you were saying about latency, they're not going to want to go backward. So there's really like, I put it this way, there's no conceivable way in the near future that I think that it would ever compete with anything on the desktop PC. But that being said, doesn't mean that it couldn't later become a thing or at least be some kind of niche thing for a while kind of like the nvidia shield kind of thing was and they also had um what was that other one called uh gamefly and nvidia actually recently acquired another company and they are actually streaming service uh, <laughs> but they are working together with a few partners to adopt and that's like, yeah, nice try NVIDIA, but you're not going to be able to take on Google on this one because Google has probably the world's best uh, infrastructure in regards to data centers because they got the things all over the place. So, yeah, it's like for the casuals, probably a lot of these things like uh, the fact that the game is on a server so you don't really own it because it's never on your PC. They're not really going to care all that much, but for people like us, and especially PC gamers, like the first thing I was thinking about, but what if I want to mod my game? <laughs> I can't. I can't mod my game. Maybe that, that's an absolute no for me on on mini games. Yeah. I play single player games. Maybe I want to use a trainer, cheat engine to make my single player experience easier. Can't do that. Oh, you know all these games these days, single player games. Uh, like here, we sell XP boosters so you can level up faster, or you know. If I own the game on my PC, I could put it my trainer next to it and I click a button and my character gets experience. I don't have to buy a stupid microtransaction to level up faster. All of these things are going to be taken away. And of course, for publishers, they are looking at that and they'll be like, yes, we like this very much. Please give us more money. And they are going to make more money on that. Because that's from a casual audience, like they will, like you don't have a choice anymore at that point. What kind of scares me about it is like, imagine like advertising. Imagine oh. 
the the amount of data that they can collect from you and stuff like that. They that's, they that's I mean the they're already in the reason. process. Go ahead. That's the only reason Google does this. Trust me. The only reason they launch this entire service is because they want your data. The only reason YouTube is still alive, despite it never having made a profit in its entire existence as a as a product, is because it provides them with an enormous amount of data they can use for targeted advertisement. And targeted advertisement is a Google's business. And they will say like, oh, you've been uh, watching, uh, like I made this example, I watched a Mighty Karma and they've been recently working on some Evo stuff. So now you're loading up your Need for Speed from your Google Stadia. And the first thing that will pop up is like, hey, would you like to buy this Evo 9 DLC for Need for Speed? Because they know. Google knows everything. Not to mention you have companies who've already came up with proprietary software like EA even, where they can basically map out what you would want to spend money on. And, and based on the way you play the game, and so they could then sell you things, microtransactions based on kind of like your specific data. And you think about shit like that, you think about the cloud, you think about the DRM stuff, not being able to actually like own the game yourself. In some ways for, for some, absolutely, I would say overall, cl- going to cloud is going to be seen as an upgrade overall. But like uh, right now, it's not going to seem that way because it's not better than the alternative. And until it's better than the alternative or at least comparable in some way, I don't think we like us as like PC gamers, if you will, are going to look at it seriously. But that being said, I do have a little bit of a worry in the sense that the people who maybe aren't so educated would just be basically willing to just donate all of their data and and not even own the games that they're playing and not even realize how little protected they actually are in that respect. They don't own the games. They don't. I mean, they're using their controller, their cloud, their servers. You know, it's just there. there's a lot of uh, weird dystopian shit there that I think certainly has people spooked in that regard. But I think I'm with you in the sense that ultimately I like the idea of cloud becoming a big thing. But that's because for me, I want it to be uh, a place that MMOs can really thrive. I think it could for sure. I mean, we're already seeing like spatial OS and these different like, services. For an MMO, it's fucking amazing right Actually, it's, it's almost like made late, for it like the idea that you could have the different issues gone exactly it doesn't matter because an mmo it exists anyway if the, unless you got a silly mmo that tells that says like oh what you do in your computer is correct which is they're always getting cheats with that so yeah it's made for mmos in that fact but i think for single player games i don't see it and like i would not I actually would like the idea, like, you know, if I would buy a game from Steam, I could also unlock it on Stadia. Because then I could be like, I can play on my main PC, I can play any. But, you know, maybe I want to do some simple tasks while I'm sitting in the train on my phone. Or I'm going to my dad and I only have my hmm. simple business class laptop with me, but I can still play a bit of the game. Okay, maybe my experience will be worse and the graphics will no doubt be worse because they will like that's also one of the things is like they will automatically adjust your graphics and you have no control over your graphics settings at all in the game right because your buffering rate and all that stuff yeah yeah but for me that's a really big issue because like motion blur is something i turn off all the time because in a lot of games it can trigger headaches or migraines for me so if i can't turn off motion blur uh, there are quite a few games i simply won't play because 
I'm getting headaches from it and you're not giving me the option to turn this off. Or maybe I want high-res textures, but I don't care about my shadow quality. You're losing a lot with this sort of a service. And I think for us you know, more active gamers and people who are informed about it, it is really a major issue. But the casual audience could very well just drag this on. And at some point, what my biggest fear is, if the casual audience is dragging this on, we're already seeing people like, oh, I'm going to put my games exclusively on Epic Store. What if they're going to put their games exclusively on Stadia? Because I don't need to bother about buying DRM because it's in the cloud. The cloud is my DRM. I don't, people can't cheat in my games anymore because they can't mod my games anymore. So I, I can sell them more DLC even in my single player games because they don't have a choice. Imagine if Google starts throwing around money to get cloud exclusives. It will. <laughs> That's the future, guys. Cloud exclusives only on the Google Cloud servers, aka you got to give us your money even though you don't technically own the game. Yeah. Ugh. Cloud, the idea Google of Google getting exclusives is just horrifying to think about to me. And Google is fucking evil and it will do it because they got the money for this shit and they all look at Stadia. Like if Stadia just as a program alone, maybe they'll release as a subscription feature, maybe they will find some other way to monetize it. But just the raw data potential from Stadia is like, holy shit, it's like YouTube times 11. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> um. All right. I mean, that's pretty much all I have to say about it. Well, obviously, this is like a wait and see story. Um, maybe when it's more developed at some point, I'd be interested in doing a video. But I'm not as mu much interested in the platform types of discussions because I believe there's other people who handle those topics and they handle them like just fine. Um, that being said, when cloud makes big steps into the world of MMOs and multiplayer games, then yeah, you're gonna you're gonna hear a lot of of me talking about it because you know I've always been a big proponent that ultimately what holds back mmos of course is the tech and so ultimately you need a better tech in order to have a better game at the scale that you're trying to with a massive multiplayer online game so cloud is just a natural to me progression the first good mmo that's going to be launched on google stadia is going to be insanely big like that game will probably eclipse all the other mmos within six months because oh this guy's just playing it on his phone in the train. He's sitting at a boring business meeting on his laptop, sneaking and playing it. Because it's just a business laptop. Well, who cares? It's being streamed from the cloud. And I mean, you mentioned like latency being an issue in MMOs. It is past a certain point. But I would probably say if you could create a game that maybe is like your standard fair tab target, you know, latency isn't nearly as important, especially if you have a longer GCD. So I think that there's ways that they could do it even early on in the tech. To where people would still be at least impressed a little bit you know maybe wouldn't go all in on it but they would still be like huh and then maybe that would you know push another developer or publisher to want to make a game on that platform and make it a sole you know cloud game or whatever else but obviously all of that's early in 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 the whole process but i'm eager to see like you said the first one to really do that is going to have a massive advantage because they're going to be the true first massive multiplayer online game <laughs> you're really going to be able to access it just about anywhere anytime 
and it's going to you know it's just crazy to think about the future especially when you throw v i know i'm getting a little bit crazy here but when you throw vr into the mix too the the future of uh mmo games are it's slow right now guys so i know sometimes it's hard to be a fan there's not a whole lot of games to play right now uh, for, and people ask me that all the time what mmo do you play what mmo do you play i don't really play anything right now right <laughs> so, so sorry if that hurts people's feelings to hear but join us in e I, I, I've been having people trying to get me to play that game for a long time. It just, it's a no starter unless they release some sort of dogfight simulator. Then maybe I'd do that. You felt great, VR. But yeah, I mean, as I said, the tech, the idea behind it is thing for MMOs. It could be amazing, but there are so, so many question marks about it. And I really think that people need to educate themselves properly on this and not buy into the hype. Uh, so someone in chat said um, they already have made their own studio for Stadia, yeah, so... They did. <laughs> kind of makes my uh, musings and ramblings or maybe even clue-seeking uh, seem definitely like it's warranted here. <laughs> I mean, Google is a giant. And it's a, a next to unstoppable giant. I uh, went ahead and moved this section along. I think we covered most of the current gaming news. We talked about Stadia. We talked about um, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, Lucasfilm games coming back. We talked about the Outer Worlds and the whole Epic Games stuff. I wanted to get into some MMO talk as well today, of course. Can't have a podcast without having MMO talk. And there's been... You know, not a whole lot of news recently in regards to uh, MMOs, but there was some news recently that Albion Online is going free to play on April 10th. And this um this has some people excited. They've told me, why don't you come back and try it? And okay, for people who say I should come back and try it, they, they never fixed my main issues. Did you not watch my video? <laughs> the, the, in the video, I outlined that my main issue is that the game is designed for a mobile platform. Very clearly... And then it barely even works on mobile. So basically, they shot themselves in the foot, designed a game for mobile and and um, iPads and shit. And then it kind of doesn't really do a whole good jet or a whole lot of a good job at that. And so now that it's at actually on the desktop PC or laptop, it performs shittily there too. And people will say, "Oh, it's mobile style combat. It's mobile style combat times 0.25 speed." <laughs> for people who keep saying Albion has mobile style combat, yeah, in like the Stone Ages, but like. What, what most people are familiar with with MOBA, it's way too slow. That being said, I'm excited to see that they are pushing towards free-to-play, which is what they originally were intending to do. I'm not sure why they ended up switching ultimately. I think it had something to do with the currency, people making free accounts. There's some problems that do arise in sandbox games when you allow games to be played free. And people don't necessarily think about them because most sandbox games back in the day were all sub-based, but... Subbase didn't stop many of us from purchasing more accounts, of course. Like, I had multiple accounts in most MMOs that I played. It's just that, imagine now you get banned and you can just make a new account and get right back to gold farming. Or get right back to uh, exploiting. And so that's kind of like the problems and dangers of going free-to-play. But that being said, it's obviously going to give them a big influx of players. They're going to get uh, potentially a big revenue boost as well, as most do whenever they go free-to-play. I'm not really convinced that they've done 
enough in the gameplay aspects or even in the world building aspects to really you know warrant me ever trying it again and what i mean by world building aspects is the world of albion is basically just why did they name it albion because there's no copyright or trademarks on the old school arthurian lore so people who go with albion and you know the camelot and this and that it's because it's free commons essentially like they, they don't have to pay a licensing fee they don't pay anything of that sort they get full access to that and all of the stories that go with it arthur and Know, the Knights of the Round Table. And so that's why people really use the Albion sort of lore. And Albion's the name of that world, by the way. Now, my problem with it is that there's basically no other world in it. it it's just like a generic Albion-esque world or something. And it's just like, there's no flair. There's no energy. There's not a whole lot of customization anyway, like in terms of how you can look and kind of how you can build your character. But that being said, it is going to be a free-to-play game, which is a big thing. It is going to be a sandbox game, which allows you to play it in a multitude of different ways. And it is a game that has large-scale PvP, whether or not it's your exact type of gameplay, like it isn't for me. Um, maybe you're bored of EVE, but you like something more like Albion. There's like a bit of a middle ground there, because I'm not going to say that they're the same games, but they're similar in, in some ways. Albion doesn't have the level of depth that EVE does, nor the true scale. But I just felt like I should mention them at least because um, if you haven't tried the game already, why not when it goes free to play, right? So you can see if I'm full of shit, you agree with me, or whatever else. All right, next on the docket for MMO news, we've got a Final Fantasy XIV trailer. This is their Shadowbringers expansion trailer. And although I don't really uh, play Final Fantasy XIV, and I haven't since I did my video on it, which was like, I think a year ago or some change, I do follow it, and I follow pretty much most MMOs generally. And so, as with most people are familiar with with Final Fantasy games, they're amazing at doing trailers. And I think it's worth mentioning or worth showcasing just how particularly good they are. Now, of course, when you make developer-made content, what that means is that Without you making new content, your game will effectively die. Many MMOs are set up in this way, right? Where they kind of have this gaping pit that has to constantly be satisfied. That's the gaping pit of players wanting more content. Now, in, in, in a sub-base game, it's different because you're always paying a sub, so you're at least guaranteed to pay a certain amount. And most of the time, that money goes into marketing and goes into creating new content. When games started to become free-to-play, however, developers had to kind of more so specifically choose where they would you know, put the brunt of their efforts and, and monetization out. And obviously skins and, you know, gear and that sort of stuff is the obvious choice for people. But with Final Fantasy XIV, what I find um, the most interesting about it is that although it obviously is a game that's completely reliant on developer-made content and therefore it requires a big marketing budget in order to get people interested in the next expansion, just like ESO does, Elder Scrolls Online, as well as, um, I wouldn't say Guild Wars 2, but I would say Elder Scrolls Online is probably closer to Final Fantasy XIV. Now, Final Fantasy XIV is a sub-base game, though I believe that the, you can play a trial all, all the way up to like level 25 or level 30. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, so it's a, it's a good game to try. If, if you're looking for a good theme park Final Fantasy game, or you're looking for just a good kind of raid focus game or pve focus game maybe even a story game in general it's a game that you could potentially look into um one thing i'll say is, is that my problem with it is that they're so damn good at doing these cinematic trailers where they really show the game on the 
this super deep and vibrant level, and then you get into the game. By the way, they also announced the dancer uh, subclass or job or profession, whichever, whichever you'd like to call it, which is supposed to be a DPS. Oh, there it is right there, right when I said it. Good timing. So the problems in uh, in Final Fantasy XIV, I find, and the, I like to bring up some of the problems as well. I'm not just going to hype it up to make you guys think that I think it's incredible just based on looking at a trailer or something. But that being said, um, I'm not going to be able to see the combat here because they probably don't have any combat of that. Now, you'll often hear the most common criticism of the game is that it's too slow. I'm assuming this guy is showcasing this to show that the game's not too slow. Though I wonder if he realizes that this is still incredibly slow. This is definitely faster than a majority of classes would play in the game, but this is still relatively slow. Now, to show you guys what I'm talking about here, pay attention to his, his, uh, his keys here. We're going to do some timing here. Okay, so I'm off a couple of seconds. Let me back up a little bit. Okay, I'm going to be a little bit off, but let's do a timer. Uh, stopwatch. Okay. Um, ready? How are we going to do this? What's the easiest way? Okay, so it's like... um. It's like a 1.5. Wait, let me start that again. There we go. It's like 2.5, I believe, is the GCD. 2.7 there. Maybe it's lower because he has like higher cast or, you know, whatever the, the stat in particular that he needs to use to cast faster. The point being is that although it's faster than what you'll typically see of other Final Fantasy uh, games um, or other Final Fantasy combat, 2.5, 2.7 second GCD is still incredibly slow, guys. And I, I just think that there's really no realistic reason that they make the game arbitrarily so slow, unless it's like they're afraid of performance issues, animations or something, or just the, the flow of their entire combat is so s slow paced in general that it's, I don't know, it adopts that kind of play style. The reason why I'm even bringing this up though is that I think Final Fantasy XIV is definitely one of those theme park games that I first would suggest for people if they haven't played it already and they haven't played a Final Fantasy game or just like, you know, the typical theme park style game. But that being said, I think it's fair to also point out that the biggest criticism still kind of isn't really fixed yet. And then that's kind of like the speed. Like, ultimately speaking, when you get to a higher level, you're going to attack faster, obviously. I mean, that's pretty much like, as you can see here, he's got some abilities that he can still cast off cooldown. Not everything is on GCD. Uh, meaning not everything shares the same global cooldown. Sorry, I use a lot of terminologies. And when I do, uh, if you don't know what I'm saying, just go ahead and ask me. Bad habit. Having played MMOs for so long, you just, you like instinctively, you know, categorize everything into like acronyms and shit. Just like PVAOEs you can see on the ground, right? What are those? Placeable AOEs. Uh, there's one right there. <laughs> anyway, um, there's a lot of story content and a lot of group PVE content. In, uh, in Final Fantasy XIV. So if you're excited for the new Shadowbringers expansion, whether it be because of the new dancer uh, profession or you just think that the whole story and the uh, marketing for it looks kick-ass, then I say, you know, why not try it if that's your sort of game or if you haven't tried it already. Um, what else do I have today? Oh, yeah, there's been some recent drama with the whole uh, World of Warcraft adding some toys to their cash shop. Now, in particular, 
this was because they were uh, stating that it was because they're raising money for WoW esports. And I'm going to have to call them out on some bullshit here, okay? So at first glance, this kind of seems like something like Dota does and other companies do, where it's like, basically, you crowdfund esports. Players love this because they get perks and skins and things, but they also get to support their favorite players and their favorite competitions. Now, whenever they announce that they're going to be putting in toys in the game, which are going to go towards funding esports, you would think that that would be considerably, uh, or a considerable thing, right? Except right here in the, in the uh, fine print, only 25% of the proceeds are going to contribute to the LAN event. Only 25%. That's such a low amount, especially for such a big company like Blizzard, and in this case, Blizzard Activision. <sighs> I'm sorry, I can't feel right about this. But they want to sit here and say that it's because you're showing your support for esports, and then they only want to make it 25% of the proceeds years and years after the WoW esports scene has already been struggling on like a couple of like hobbling legs. Sorry, if it sounds like I'm very cynical here, very, uh, what's the word? Very um, suspicious. It's just because why now, first off, and why only 25%? I just think that you you look at like how Valve does things and I don't know exactly off the top of my head what Valve's percentage that they take is, but you can sit here and say that WoW doing the same thing as Dota is like equivalent even if it is the same percentage. Because in this case, what esports scene are we even supporting here? There basically is no esports scene. It's been hobbling for quite some time. So now all of a sudden Blizzard wants to get involved after they've purchased, you know, MLG and they have all of these other big pushes towards esports with Overwatch and with uh, they tried with Heroes of the Storm. What I'm trying to say is, is that Blizzard keeps trying to force things to happen and then basically trying to make it seem as if they're doing everybody a good service. Like, hey, like, you know, 25% of the proceeds of the toys are going to go to... First off, toys are basically kind of useless, right? Like, what, what's really like the, 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 the point of the, of the toys? As far as I know, they're just like basically memorabilia. Like it, it doesn't actually offer you anything. Now, apparently they, they are saying they'll give you fireworks, I guess. And what is this even asking? me? Apparently you can also get this one which like turns you into like some epic kind of characters. It's a transformation that lasts 20 minutes. This is actually a pretty good idea for, for a way to make money, by the way. I don't know. I just can't help but feel weird. Like what's taken them so long to do this? That's the first part. The second part is whenever this does become a thing or continues to be a thing, if it is barely a thing, and WoW Classic comes out, how is that going to work? Are they going to keep supporting it when WoW Classic obviously takes over the scene? Because, I mean, let's be honest. WoW Classic is going to be the biggest thing in WoW in the past five, six, seven years, right? Since probably TBC or, or even like, I think uh, Wrath did really good sales too. It's probably going to be the biggest thing for WoW since Wrath. And so I'm wondering, like, is it really worth putting in the money for like the esports when... Is Classic going to be the esports? Uh, you know, like, I, I wonder how they're going to end up handling that. I can't just I can't help but feel like Blizzard repeatedly trying to force things with esports 
it's just not good for the market and it's not good for people overall. Blizzard, I'm disappointed in you. Look at what I do for do for the international in Dota 2. Dota 2 has the battle pass content release that sort of reminds uh BR battle pass. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, basically here, you're you're for ten dollars, and then what what's the uh what's the toy oh no, that's the toy purchase. Okay, look. So I can buy ten dollar fireworks, check this out. Ten dollar fireworks. A $10 20-minute long skin changer, right? This is what WoW is offering me to support esports. Whereas when I go to StarCraft, StarCraft 2, uh, Battle Pass. I mean, it's basically a Battle Pass. of What do they call it again? The Their esports version. By the way, also Blizzard, right? So we know that they can do it. So how does StarCraft handle the way that people support esports? Well, they actually give you something that's like worth the damn money. Like for example, trying to find um, where I can battle chest. Is it is it battle chest? View kit. I can't I can't remember off the top of my head what they call it. And I should know it. I I recently played the game. I don't think it's battle chest. I mean, shit. Do I have to open up the game right now? <laughs> I, I guess I could just open up the game right now and look for it myself. Um, <laughs> all right. Ah, it's War Chest. I think that's what it is. Yeah, it's War Chess. War Chess Katowice. Katowice. Is that how you pronounce it? Katowice. Katowice. All right. So the War Chess, the way the War Chess, chess sorry, works for people who don't play StarCraft 2, which, by the way, it's free to play. Why not just try it if you haven't already? I don't know why they don't show the detail. Okay, here it goes. So you purchase the War Chess. It gets you experience for either watching StarCraft 2 uh, pro matches or from playing the game, obviously. And, um,. It tells you how much is being raised very clearly. It tells you what skins it comes with. It has different skins for each race. It also has um, uh, portraits that it comes with. It has, uh, what else do we have here? There's portraits, there's the skins, there's the, oh, oh. it unlocks ranked play if you are a free-to-play account and you don't want to wait 10 days. It gives you XP boost. You know, for the uh, uh, co-op portion of the game, it gives you more skins for your console, aka over overlays. Sorry, uh, race decals. What I'm trying to say here is, um, you might be wondering, okay, so how much is this uh, battle, you know, or war chest? It sounds really expensive. Maybe that's why the other one is not so good. Well, in reality, I don't know why it doesn't show the price here, but the war chest I think is like nine dollars. So. For for the price of not or sorry for each race I believe it's five dollars and then for all races it's either fifteen or twenty. Let's see. Yeah, you you can buy them per race for a discounted amount, or you can buy all of them for the entire pack. The point being is, um, you get way more bang for your buck by purchasing a war chest 
with StarCraft than you do buying fireworks and the freaking, what was, <laughs> what was the other one? The skin changer for 20 minutes. $9? Thank you. Gotta go run some errands. I'll catch up on the rest of YouTube. Peace, y'all. See you later, man. Oh, thank you, Ludens. I missed that. Anyway, you can kind of see my point here. I'm not really happy with Blizzard's effort in regards to WoW's esports scene. Seems kind of like a poor effort, honestly. And it's kind of categorically been a poor effort. I think that sums up uh, WoW esports in a nutshell. Not to mention, um, I was thinking about this, guys. And um, as, as soon as they announced the official launch for uh, WoW Vanilla, WoW Classic, I'm going to announce the announcement, or the announcement to the announcement of announcing a... <laughs> That was very redundant, but announce a community. I want to do a guild. I want to do a guild in Classic. I want to play an MMO, man. I've been looking for MMOs to play, and sure, I'm not saying Classic is going to hold me over for years on end. I'm not convinced it will, not to mention, I'm curious if they're going to handle it like RuneScape or if they're going to handle it like just keep it the same, which is never going to work, but anyway. Um, point being is there's at least multiple months of good times to be had. So I'm thinking when WoW Classic is announced, I'm going to make an announcement that we're going to have a community effort towards playing that game. So I'll probably put a um, a Google Doc and stuff if you want to sign up for a raid team or to do PvP or anything that you know is specific like that. But generally speaking, we're going to accept everybody as long as you uh, listen to the rules. So I thought I'd just point that out for people who don't have who want to try WoW Classic, don't have a team to play with, or you just want to play with you know play an MMO with me because I know we don't get to do that as much. By the way, if I had started this YouTube channel like. 15 years ago, 10 years ago, you guys would have been shocked at the amount that I played MMOs. <laughs> now it's like, now it's almost sometimes I have to force myself to play an MMO, even if it's an old one, just because I don't want to like forget how it feels, you know? <laughs> I don't want to miss that, I miss out on that experience. In some kind of sad news, um, or deserved news, depending on how you look at it, Survived By, which is sort of like Realm of the Mad God MMO, where it's kind of like this roguelite kind of permadeath style of game is recently announced or has recently announced that they're shutting down. Now, this shouldn't or surprise people entirely because the lead dev on this project, unfortunately, came out at some point and said that he didn't think that it was pay to win in a PvE game. He didn't think that there was a concept of pay to win in a PvE game. Uh, needless to say, he got kind of raked over the coals for that. People dropped a lot of support. And now it's unfortunate to see a, a game die, especially one from a small developer. You know, me, tr I'm trying to be a small developer at some point in my life. I don't, I don't want my other brethren from the, the indie realm to fail and, and not succeed. But at the same time, you kind of got to be careful about what you say. And um, yeah, it is still pay to win when it's PvE, guys. <laughs> it's, it's not just PvP that's pay to win. In fact, we're going to go soapbox today since we're actually pretty early on the podcast. We're only an hour and 23 minutes in, which means we've got some time to kill to hear me rant. And today I'm going to be ranting about what, uh, it, what is terminology in... in and MMOs, okay? What is the damn terminology here? Okay. What does MMORPG mean? Massive multiplayer online role-playing. Okay. Well, wait a minute. What's a role-playing game? I don't know, right? A role-playing game. MMORPG is a term that has been explained before many times and i'm going to do a video that kind of outlines all the terminology 
so I don't have to have this conversation. But recently, I've gotten a lot of pushback on both my Star Trek video as well as my Black Desert Online video. And I mean, I forgot to talk about the Black Desert Online video, so I can talk about that one a little bit, a little bit too if we still have time. I got a lot of pushback in regards to one particular term, pay to win. Now, pay to win is the real acronym that I want to dive into. Because MMORPG, that's one for another time. <laughs> that's one that has a load of problems. Like, what's massive, right? Most of these games aren't really RPGs, are they? So why are they MMORPGs? Ugh, a whole nother can of worms for some other time. But people have kept making the argument to me, okay, what's pay to win? This isn't pay to win because I can earn it in the game. This isn't pay to win because there's no PvP. It's just PvE. Um, this isn't pay to win because they also give us free things. All right. We need to have a serious talk about what pay to win means, guys. Pay to win originally means, and I can say that because I was there, pay to win originally meant essentially any way that you could gain an advantage by spending money. That's what it initially meant. Over the years, and I'm not saying terminology can evolve, it does. Over the years, however, business models have shifted. We're seeing free-to-play and buy-to-play games with cash shops a lot more prevalent. And so now the question of what is pay-to-win is a lot more kind of... It's muddied, right? There's, a, there's not a clear line in the sand of what's considered free-to-play and pay-to-win. And so we have to have the discussion of what do we consider to be paying-to-win, right? Now, according to just the basic definition of it, it's any time you can purchase something that gives you an advantage, right? I, th I would agree with you, Vukit. Uh, I think it's pretty self-explanatory that it's you pay for something and you get an advantage. However, that doesn't mean that we can't create other terminology or acronyms to come up with describing other styles of games. And now what I mean is, say for example, Black Desert Online, Arc Age, these are very popular games that are known for having very aggressive monetization schemes. Now, neither of those games I, I think you can say aren't pay to win in any stretch of the imagination, just based on the definition of what pay to win means. That being said, maybe we need to come up with another term to also describe a game that allows you to earn things as well as buy them. Pay to convenience, people have brought that up, right? Maybe it's a pay to convenience thing, but what's considered convenience versus what's considered you're just taking away fun from me? And now you might be asking, what do you mean by that? Well, the people who make the argument that pay to win is only whenever you can not earn it in game, well, riddle me this. Who's the person that comes up with the microtransactions? The publisher usually, right? Or the developer? Who's the person that has access to the game's code and inner workings of game design? The developer and the publisher. So if a developer or a publisher wants to make money, do you think it makes more sense for them to make an item call the God win button that you can buy or have something that's markedly better, very hard to obtain, but is $5, just $5. What do you think is better for business? The one button I win thing doesn't really work in the Western market, right? It, that doesn't work. It pisses people off too much. But the more subtle shit works. And the more subtle shit is, eh, we make the XP game 0.25%. And when you sub, you get double that. Or sorry, you get two 2.5% 2 uh, XP boost. Uh, two... 2.25, why, why did I say it like that? Point being is, 
They can control the rate in which you gain experience, the rate in which you gain money, the rate in which you gain their currency, and they can also impact your crafting, right? Maybe like in Arc Age, you get a Thunderwood or whatever they called it, where it like increases the chance that you'll upscale your gear, but it's not guaranteed. So you could spend money and then basically downgrade your gear on accident. Now, I bring this up because it's like, we really need to have a discussion about what's considered pay to win. If we can all agree here, and by the way, we're a small community, so we're not going to make a big uh, difference right now, but we can in the future as we scale up as a community and, and play more games and kind of spread our influence. But we need to have a discussion about, can we just make pay to win just the way it's described, which is just like you pay to win, you pay something, and it allows you to have a, um, a power up increase. But then there's also a problem with that term, right? There's also a problem with that term. The problem with pay to win, in my opinion, is that people automatically think that if you're saying it's pay to win, it means that when I buy this, it automatically makes me win. And technically speaking, that's not what it was meant to mean. Because nothing early on was so overpowered that if you got it, you won right away. I was there playing Nexon games when they basically came up with a business model. And I've also studied it pretty deeply. Everything started as cosmetic. Everything was just ease of you know, access. It was just bluff. It was vanity. It, it was never winning or anything like that. Then they started adding XP boosts. And that one's kind of a no-brainer because people get bored of leveling. And I understand that because most grind games are incredibly boring. So you incentivize people by offering more experience. Well, now we've basically, or we've basically described what Black Desert Online is. Now... Black Desert Online is something that I uh, recently did a video on as to why I don't play the game. Now, if you haven't watched it already, go watch it. Um, if you're a Black Desert Online fan, sorry if I treated you as being an already hostile audience. I know that's not necessarily the best idea <laughs> when you're trying to get people to listen to you. I realize that me saying that Black Desert Online fans who crush endlessly about the combat system are ignorant kind of offended people, <laughs> even though I think it's the correct term to use in that case especially when they keep proving my point. Now, I wanted to talk about this video in particular because it's related really to the topic that we were just discussing, which is kind of like, Black Desert Online, is it pay to win? What are my main problems with it? Now, obviously I outline in these in the video, so I'm not gonna go over too many of them, but just the, the basic gist is that my main problems with the game is that it advertises itself as being action-oriented and being an action combat system, while not actually being an action combat system. Now you might say, well, who are you to state whether or not you can say if a game is the action combat system or not? I think the easiest thing to do is just compare it to its competitors, compare it to other games. Is Black Desert Online any more action than Global Agenda, than Planetside, than uh, Darkfall? Is it any more action than those games? Vindictus, that uses the Source Engine, by the way? I don't think so. I think all of those games are not only more responsive, they have more freedom over your movement and freedom over your aim. And so when you look at an action game, right? Like to me, the quintessential action game, and by the way, this is one of the highest rated action games of all time. So I'm not just pulling this out of my ass. One of the most, con you know, consensus greatest action games of all time has to be Jedi Academy. Jedi Academy, I've ranted about this game so much because it's just an amazing game. I love this game as a kid. This game had a physics-based combat system in like 03, guys. In 03. 
Now you might ask, well, this isn't a multiplayer game, so checkmate, Atheist. Well, I, I bring this up to showcase that Jedi Academy is what kind of comes to mind whenever I think action game. Now you might say, well, Dark Souls come to mind, comes to mind when I think action. Okay, let's watch a Dark Souls gameplay. The weird thing I find is that basically neither of these two games that I've showcased play anything like Black Desert Online. Now, it doesn't have to play exactly the same, but what I mean is that the level of control that you have in these in these games, and frankly speaking, the timing required in order to make certain, you know, split-second adjustments, I think are much greater in these games, even though they're, they're single-player games. Well, Academy, you can play it multiplayer, but I was showcasing single-player footage. Now, when you watch Black Desert Online's combat system, it ha First off, the number one thing about Black Desert Online that's frustrating for me is that it's intentionally designed to be misleading. Now, for example, this gameplay shows no HUD, correct? And it doesn't show um, him actually having to aim any of his attacks. So right now, it looks like as if he's actually aiming at his targets, or sorry, aiming at his targets and trying to land like precise blows. In reality, he's just going through animations, right? Now, many games have this, right? Where you're locked into different animations. In this case... The idea here is that although they're making it look as if he's precisely aiming these targets, in reality, as long as they walk in front of him and his hitbox, aka a soft hitbox, he's going to land the hit. So my argument is that I'm not saying action MMOs, which are essentially pseudo-action MMOs in my opinion in most cases, they're more like tab target action modes, or Rippies and I came up with the term, well, a couple of other people, Limpos and I discussed it too. We came up with the term soft action combat. And that obviously pisses some people off because they're like, well, you know, that sounds like it's an insult. It's not. It's just an accurate representation of what it is. I mean, for example, when he lands his ability here, or when he lands his swing here, he blocks here, which blocks this target. This target walks through, and when he lands a slice, which, by the way, follow my mouse, uh, went like this. This is how his slice from his sword went. Like that. It was like a crescent shape. How the hell did he hit the other two guys? Well, because it's not really an action combat system. It's just more so a soft action combat system. So this is something that I've had a hard time explaining to people because they just think that, oh, you, the game's just too difficult for you. No, the, the game's not difficult enough is my argument. <laughs> it's not complex enough is my argument. My argument is not that it's too easy. My, or my argument is that it's not, not that it's too hard, is that it's too easy. <laughs> Let's go back and uh, read some of the, the comments on the video, uh, and you'll kind of see what I'm saying. Now, just before that, I only showed you guys some other action combat games. So to be fair, I'm going to show you some other MMO examples of games that I think have good action combat system. Now, uh, what do you know? I did a video on one of these before, right? What do you know? I... I you know, played the hell out of one of these games before. It's almost as if my entire career and life, I've been playing shit tons of games. <laughs> Point being is Black Desert Online fans have no clue that games like this even existed before. And that's not their fault. Many of them are newer players. They're, they're younger. They're not going to know this. But what I find frustrating is in whenever I'm trying to have a discussion about combat systems and people keep telling me, well, Black Desert Online has like the best combat systems. And it's like, actually... Can we even make that argument on any like realistic platform? I mean, in this fight here, this guy has to aim every single attack. I mean, if he if he's even just a little bit off, he's mostly going to miss. Almost completely. You see the 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 engine right there? He jetpacks, he lands, you see the look at look at the movement. 
look at how his character is actually when he moves he's connected to the ground now again i'm getting a little bit theoretical here and game design-esque which is kind of theoretical by nature so for some people it might be hard to follow this if you have any questions just please let me know i'm trying my best to explain it but the point is is that in this game it clearly has a physics engine that operates as it's supposed to operate Whenever the character moves, he makes contact with the ground. You see, when he moves, he actually has to make contact with the ground before he makes a move. You might be like, what is that, what is that supposed to mean? In many games, including tap target games, they just do animations. <laughs> so you see somebody do an animation, but in reality, their character model isn't actually doing that. They're just playing an animation. And that's what um, Terra does. That's what Black Desert Online does. Many of these games do it where they're not really action combat systems. They just play animations to make it look like you're hitting your target. And so perfect example of this is watch how as he fires his bow in the first exchange, uh, it didn't really show it there. That's just the dash combat, which if you like anime, you'll probably find some level of enjoyment in that. I'm trying to find specifically where there's like an, a, a really egregious part of my video where I showcase just how much you're able to miss your target. And I've done this before. So I'll keep it really simple. But if this is my target, and this is a soft hitbox, and this is a hard hitbox, and this is my character, if I swing my sword right here, I'm going to hit this... Sorry. If I swing my sword right here, I'm not going to hit both targets, like in Black Desert Online. I'm going to hit this target because my, my swing is likely close enough to trigger his hitbox, even though I'm not hitting him. That's because his hitbox is like this. And sometimes even crazier. Sometimes you'll, with latency issues, you'll get hitboxes that are the size of like this. And I, you see this in ESO all the time, by the way, where a dude shoots an arrow like over here and he still hits his target. Now, again, for some people that might be asking, why does this really matter? It's just because if we're going to have a discussion about what's considered action combat, I think we need to have a discussion about what we consider to be action combat. I mean, we can't just keep labeling things that are basically non-tab target as being action combat because by nature, they just aren't exactly, uh, uh, by nature, just because they're not tab target doesn't make them action combat. It makes them pseudo action combat or in a more appropriate way to say it, soft action combat. Now, in a game like Global Agenda, Darkfall, or, or really, I mean, just shooters in general, right? And, and other action games like, um, like uh, Jedi Academy that I use as an example, or even Dark Souls. In order to hit my target, I need to collide with my target. Now, I, I know it sounds insane, right? I, I'm saying some crazy things here. But if I want to swing my sword, I need to hit this guy, right? In uh, Kingdom Come Deliverance, if I landed that hit, that guy's arm's out of commission. Now, most games don't really have systems like that, which is an idea to include something for a tap target system where you could still have different hitboxes. That way you can still uh, incentivize people to want to aim. Now, you might ask, like, but maybe casuals just want soft hitboxes. And I'm actually not convinced that they do because you look at the amount of popular games that use hard hitboxes and the majority of them do. I mean, you look at a game like Fortnite, one of the most popular games in the world, Apex Legends, one of the most popular games in the world. Yes, they're shooters, but they're very clearly hard hitboxes. And that's because people complain when they have soft hitboxes because they feel like my, my aim in this game isn't even rewarded. So why even, like, why even go on with a farce is my argument here. Why even pretend I can aim? Like, why even give me the option to not use auto-aim or aim assist? 
Who is not going to use aim assist in a game where everybody is using aim assist? <laughs> I'm ranting, but that's kind of the point of this segment here. Now, if I want to shoot an arrow at this guy, my projectile has to land on his character. Let's say he's wearing like a suit of armor. Like that. That's a horrible looking suit of armor, but there's his suit of armor. If I'm going to land a projectile right here, I'm going to get a hit, right? But if I land one right here, why would I get a hit? Why would I be rewarded for not landing a hit is what I'm trying to say. I personally, in when it comes to gameplay, I expect that how you advertise it to me is how it's going to play. And so why do I have no issue with tab target games? Because that was basically the only way we could make a combat system back in the day, right? Because think about it. We started at mud. We started at tech space. We needed a combat system that kind of worked. Tab target was kind of like a no-brainer because it was lower tech and it was easier to pull off. It's been like 19 years and we've still been using basically the same systems. Let's, let's be fair. It's been like 15 years and we're basically using the same systems. And then whenever we have games like Black Desert Online and uh, Arcage come out, which by the way, these games are six plus years old. They've been out in Korea for some time now, but they were new when they came to America. We're getting sold, in my opinion, a wrong bill of goods. We're getting sold something that's an action combat game that is barely an action combat game. We're, we're getting sold something that costs $9, when in reality, as I showcased just going through a basic cash shop guide, which by the way, some of these prices have been lowered since then. So that is one mistake I did make in this video is I couldn't find a more updated version of a guide like this, probably because people got tired of doing them maybe or whatever reason. But point being is I go through the math on here about how much money you would spend in a game like that. I just can't help but feel like Black Desert Online just sits wrong with me, even just on a moral level. But anyway, I think I made my hitbox argument to you guys. Sorry if I'm a bit all over the place, but this is kind of my major argument. So when I play a game like um, Warhammer Online, one of my favorite PvP games of all time, this game is so blatantly tab target, it's not even funny. But why is it still fun? Because look at the way the game moves. Even though it's old school and clunky and certainly feels slower, when I do my abilities and I'm landing things, it makes sense because I'm playing a tab target game. I'm not playing an action game. I don't expect to have you know, target reticules that are like perfect pixel aim and, and you know, a perfect pixel hit detection and hit scan and shit like, I'm not expecting that. It's a tab target game, right? But you're damn right when I play an action game, I do expect some level of action combat, whether it be physics, whether it be range, whether it be aiming, whether it be whatever it may be. And so that's kind of always been my major issue with games like Black Desert Online. And I don't mean to keep picking just on Black Desert Online. I'll pick on many other games too, as, as I normally do, because ultimately I've reached the point, if you guys can't tell from this uh, soapbox segment, where I've had enough. I've had enough of these games coming out with these subpar combat systems, selling them as if they're something revolutionary or like groundbreaking, and then us just eating the same garbage. Like, when are we gonna, as a community, as an MMO community, gonna say, can you guys stop making shitty combat games? Because we don't need them anymore. We don't. The arguments, the old arguments were viable, right? Too expensive, didn't have the tech, too risky, um, no, other thing, no, no other thing like it on the market, so it's risky in that respect because you're the first of your kind. Many different good arguments as to why we had to rely on a tab target system. We're in 2019. Game development has only gone down in cost, right? We have indie developers making MMOs now. That was never really a, a possibility we thought in 2007, 2008, 2009, whenever these big publishers were dominating the space. The point is, is that Unreal has low co uh, cost licensing fees. Unity has low cost licensing fees. 
There's so many other types of platforms out there that allow you to have at least a jump start in regards to making an engine. You don't have to make proprietary engines anymore. And so everything has only gotten easier. And yet we keep still making the same games, same combat system. And it's sort of at this point, I'm finding that it's just an excuse that people make. It's like an excuse that developers or more so publishers will make because they'll say, oh, latency issues. That's the argument I see all the time. Well, well, Nerd Slayer, you can't do a, an MMO because of latency issues. But what about the games I just showed you guys? Those games are like 15 years old. <laughs> Sorry, Global Agenda is like nine years old. Darkfall Online is like 10 years old. Like, when, when, when do we start questioning this and start being like, wait, if those indie game, you know, tiny dev studios with budgets that are like a tenth of the size of Black Desert, if they're able to do it, why can't I do it? Well, the simple answer is that, or sorry, why can't they do it as a developer? And the simple answer is, is at the moment, developers have found if you get really sexy animations, you can kind of fool the majority of the audience. I mean, and sorry, if you like Black Desert Online, I'm not saying it makes you a bad person. Like, like whatever the hell you like. I'm just explaining my perspective of, although Black Desert Online clearly does fulfill a niche for people, especially an action combat-esque niche for people, I look at it and I just think that we can do much better. And I think looking at that as like the ceiling is just a mistake. So I know I've kind of been all over the place ranting a little bit, but those are my main kind of points about combat systems in the world of MMOs. Is I just feel like right now, at this point, it's just an excuse. We need to start holding these developers accountable. We need to start saying, look, we're tired of the same combat system. I mean, to provide you guys a perfect example that I couldn't have found any better way to end, you know, uh, this particular point of mine. I just discovered this MMO called Oath. Now, I know next to nothing about this uh, MMO. I just recently discovered it this morning. They don't have a Discord yet. Sorry, they don't have a Kickstarter yet, but they're going to be doing a Kickstarter. What they did first to make sure is that they could at least come up with some working kind of gameplay slash tech demo. Now, <laughs> for reference, guys, this is a team that is like, I think maybe five, six people built this using Unreal Engine and Spatial OS and haven't even gotten any funding yet. Like, this was a couple of our MMO bros, guys that we've talked to probably on a daily basis, decided, huh, let's try making our own game sometime. Yeah, let's just mess around with the engines and stuff. And they came up with this in that short amount of time with that little bit of resources and people still have the audacity to tell me that big publisher and developers can't make this work. Sorry, that's just completely absurd. And it's just, it's frankly insulting at this point. It's insulting. And I've showed other examples like this, by the way, with dudes who are creating games that have that... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going crazy because that one scene that it just showed right there, did anybody see that? I'm going to show you guys something about that. Okay. Um, Oath. There's a particular segment. It's so unheard of. I literally can't even get it to show up. <laughs> nine, uh, 12 or nine hours ago, they released this. There, I like to slow thing down, slow, sorry, slow things down for you guys so I can really show you what I mean when I specifically target, you know, points about like gameplay or, or whatever else. 
Now, obviously, you see target reticles on the ground here. That's that's sort of like something like uh, uh, Wildstar did. There's a particular moment where he lands a knockdown here, and he gets, like, the kill on the guy, and then he, like, does, like, some sort of taunt. And I wanted to show this off to you guys because I wanted to show something in particular that is missing in so many games. Okay. So... I'm somebody who's trained martial arts basically most of my life. I've been now training jujitsu for probably like four or five months. I trained Muay Thai for like three years. And then I did karate, taekwondo combined for probably like 10. So like I've been doing martial arts for a long time. So I'm really into combat, <laughs> both in real life and also, you know, in video games. And so whenever I watch the combat here, there's a couple key things you have to realize when it comes to real combat. And by the way, I'm not a sword master or anything like that or a swordsman. So I'm not going to critique their sword skills, but... I, I do know things about range. Range is a concept in, uh, concept in fighting where it's basically, can I connect a hit on you and you can't connect a hit on me? Is the idea of, of, of maintaining range, right? And so in this scenario, he's, he's a meleeer. He has to close a distance, right? Everybody knows that. And so the guy fires off his spell, which is targetable. In that scenario, it was a little bit closer, so you could see that it's not a completely hit scan. But if you notice... It happens after it passes him. So basically, like, the AoE effect triggers, I think, like, somewhere around here. Um, what you'll see is, is he, he does manage to avoid it for a second. He does a, an invuln roll, which is probably just a, an invuln or an iframe. You know, he's invulnerable when he rolls. Now, the point that I wanted to mention here is he's charging a knockdown ability slash knockup ability, which should take time. Now, in this scenario, his opponent could have closed or should have you know, maybe blinked or tried to get away from him, right? But the reason why I want to point this out is that this is basically what my bar is for having a good uh, MMO combat system. It's, can you have different forms of ranging, is aiming at least in some sort of way uh, incentivized or at least rewarded, and is movement, most importantly, because for long-time MMO players in chat who've PvP'd for a long time like Ludens, they know that movement is basically the number one thing in an MMO. People are like, how do you, how do you like, pvp good in mmo it's not it's not like your aim right it's just all about your builds it's like well it's timing and it's movement those are the most important things and so he didn't take a whole lot of damage here and he had to get close enough to land this knockup now the reason why i'm showcasing this is he goes through an entire animation of landing the knockup you see the target get propelled into the air and then he immediately fall back down and then he does some sort of smash attack which of course you know completely nukes the dude into some like spin move finisher. The, the reason why I'm showing this off is that when you look at Crowfall's gameplay, which I'm sorry, Crowfall, you guys are just really easy to kind of pick on combat wise. Watch Crowfall's gameplay in comparison. Let's play normal speed first. So that doesn't warp your perception of this. All right. So here are some PVP battles. Uh, can we skip ahead? Okay. Here's a PVP battle. Now, please guys, Try and tell me if you have any idea that you know what was going on in this fight. Because I never know what the hell is going off or going on in any Crowfall fight I've ever seen. The, the UI, the combat, the animations are so freaking complicated and, and frankly low quality that you don't even know when someone's like firing off abilities. <laughs> like, for example, here this dude does some crazy like knockback like spin move thing. The only thing that it shows is basically his wings spinning in a circle. And then targets just insanely go flying and propelled through the air. I showed you guys such a simple example of how you can have a combat system where the animation kind of looks like it works, right? He's stuck to the ground in that other video, right? 
That's an important feature you hear me mention a lot, being stuck to the ground. What does that mean? That spin animation, he moved a little bit, but it, as he's walking, his character is actually stuck to the ground. At least to a more of an extent than what you see here. Or it's like people are doing things and they're like gliding all over the place. It's so strange. Let's slow it down here. PvP fight. Okay, here comes a PvP fight. Let's walk through this together. Okay, he's stealthed right now. Okay, so they, they put stunned out. Because that's the only way that they can con uh, convince you or, or tell you that somebody's being stunned, by the way. Is a <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. Do I seem like I'm being insulting? I'm not trying to be. It's just silly because it's like, there's so many other ways of doing that that are much better anyway. Like, why would you do it where you have to just say in giant letters that you're stunning somebody? That's so ass backwards, guys. We need animations that give us the weight of our attacks so we know when we're landing that knockdown. Warhammer, for all of its problems, Warhammer Online with its engine and different things, it had an amazing knockdown, knockup, and frankly speaking, crowd control system. Where it really felt like when you punted somebody off into the Toranrock, uh, <laughs> when you punted somebody into that Toranrock uh, volcano, it looked like it. Sorry, I can't spell for shit, apparently. Alright, so, if you haven't already played this map, obviously these are some ancient graphics, but check this out. <laughs> Watch this. Throughout this video, you know exactly when this guy's landing his attacks because of the way the animations work. And by the way, this game came out in 2010, right? Boom, lands his knockback. Gets knocked back himself, by the way. And then, of course, ends up dying because that's what happens when you get knocked into the lava here. So here, you see, he lands his animation. It goes through the entire animation before it, you know, before it fully knocks him away. So it looks as if you're launching him. You notice that? It's subtle, but it looks as if you're launching him away. That's important feedback for a player, right? You need to feel as if you're knocking somebody away to really feel like you're knocking them away. Unless it just, or otherwise it just looks completely disjointed. Now, for some reason, like, I don't know what it is with Crowfall, why they have such a particularly bad problem with animations, but a lot of the time, you never know if you're actually landing your attacks unless you just see numbers pop up on your screen. Like, look at this scenario. Like, I'm assuming he's firing attacks, but I don't really see any indication that he's landing anything here. Except, after it triggers, you see the uh, damage um, pop up on the guy's head. Now, of course, people are going to make the argument, as I, as I saw somebody in chat kind of make the argument, um, that, well, the game's not finished. And, okay. I'm making a Kickstarter report card, and I don't really go into complete detail about whether or not it is. It's kind of more so just on a basic level, because I didn't want to give too much of my own thoughts. So there is a part of it where I do give my opinion. And, for example, what I mentioned with Crowfall is, from a design perspective... They have a very realistic goal, right? Of doing a bunch of different instances and doing essentially campaigns that play out uh, over, you know, three, four, five, six, however many months you choose. It kind of, it depends on how you design it. It's a cool concept and it's very realistic, right? Because you don't have to worry so much about doing what Camelot Unchained is trying to do, which is have massive battles of 5,000 plus people, potentially, sorry, and also have projectiles and a building system. Now, the problem with Crowfall for me is that its animations, in my opinion, look worse than Camelot Unchained. 
And also, the way the combat plays, I think it's kind of worse too. Now, I, obviously, I can't to talk too much about Camelot Unchained's combat system because I'm under NDA, so I can't really talk about how it is right now. But even just based off of what we've seen, it kind of reaches a point after a while where you're sort of like, when is enough enough? Like, and what I mean by that is, when do we start expecting some sort of semblance of a finished product? Now, with MMOs, the last year alone is insane amounts of polishing, right? But remember... When we're looking at games and developers, essentially, that are just... They can at least get the working demo down. You're kind of like... Is it because they're trying to scale up and do all of the other content first? Is, is that maybe why they haven't fixed these particular aspects? But I guess what has me puzzled about the whole Crowfall thing is if action combat or just like an, an action style combat is what you're going for, why wouldn't you immediately try and work on that? Why wouldn't you fix your animations? Why wouldn't you fix your hit detection? Why wouldn't you try and fix all of these other issues? Well, unless you're having a lot of problems in that regard. And that's what I think it is personally, is Crowfall's having a lot of problems with their tech. And frankly... um. That's probably why we're not seeing more of a finished product because this video, guys, came out three months ago. Like, it's 2019. For the people who are saying this game's in alpha or pre-alpha still, it is. But they just last year uh, or announced an early access launch or a early launch, soft launch, whatever they want to call it. If just one year ago you were planning on a soft launch and now it's three months into the next year and you're basically still showing the same shit you've been showing... After a while, you do start to kind of wonder, like, okay, when is it going to get better? I'm wondering when is it going to get better. But this was my long, convoluted way of ranting about combat systems and MMOs and how, frankly speaking, I think that they're kind of garbage. And for the longest time, we accepted that. And I accepted that because it was just like it came with a territory, you know? Like, you didn't play an MMO for great combat or gameplay. But now I feel like after basically 19 years since one of the most popular MMOs of all time came out, You'd think we kind of have gotten uh, by that. You know what I mean? Like we've gotten past that point. I've been in the alpha and beta and development is glacial, but regardless, people are going to judge for better or worse. I mean, ultimately, you should judge. So when people say don't judge because it's in a testing phase. What? You mean don't seriously judge it? Fair enough. Don't judge it like a fully launched product. That's a fair argument. But why wouldn't I judge it? Like, how else am I supposed to know how it's supposed to look? <laughs> like, I can only take in what information or what, what, you know, what's right in front of me. And what's right in front of me is these most recent videos, which, frankly speaking, kind of look like ass. So, yes, ultimately speaking, when you look at games that aren't finished yet, the gameplay is going to look pretty rudimentary and not finished yet. That's not my argument here. My argument is that it, it's not that it just looks unfinished. It's that they're doing things so blatantly bad that it kind of has me worried, you know? Like when you're relying on giant text to tell you when you're stunned, it makes me worried about your animations or the state of your hit detection or the state of your UI and things like that. You know what I'm saying? Because there's many games where you basically get no text pop up. Jedi Academy is a perfect one. You know when you knock somebody down because you see it. You feel it. You don't need to be told that you knock somebody down, right? That's just the, the, ex, the, the extra. <laughs> That's the bonus, if you will.
You should always critique it, especially in development when it's the most moldable still and changes can be made. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I critique these games because I want them to succeed. Like, I, I know it might not seem like that from the outside perspective, but put it this way. If I'm not able to speak of, of my, my opinion to my platform, to my audience, and tell, you know, what I think to be a uh, an important story of kind of like, when are we and how are we going to start pushing the combat forward in this market? It kind of, you kind of have to be critical of games in order to do that. You realize like, you know, you, like, so if you want to, you want new shit to happen, you kind of have to say that what's happening currently isn't good enough. So I, I don't like to necessarily pick on Kickstarter MMOs. And that's why like, I'll show you guys a quick little spoiler of my uh, video that I'm working on where I'm just going through and I'm going to talk about uh, what is a Kickstarter? What's crowdfunding? How is it good or bad? And then go into like, report card criteria such as do they meet their promised launch do they meet their funding goals which are very fair uh criteria to, to judge them on right are they fulfilling their promises to backers and what's my opinion of the project of course i've you know i'm covering camelot unchained chronicles of Illyria, crowfall uh star citizen uh what else did i miss that's still on here um chronicles and i already got that one pantheon rise of the fallen and I think Ashes of Creation. Those are the major ones that I'm going to be covering with the report card. But there's also some honorable mentions of Kickstarter MMOs that are also coming out, like City of Titans, Fractured, Guns of Icarus Online, which is like the spiritual successor to Guns of Icarus, Project Gorgon, which is now on early access on Steam. Point being is I'm trying to do a much better job of letting us know what is the next information, next news, next innovation coming in the world of MMOs. And as I uh, unveil my Patreon video and frankly speaking, increase my production and ability to make more videos by actually having my editor full-time, for example, I'm going to get a lot more content like that. Sorry, I was spoiling too much there. I know you you uh, sneaky, sneaky dogs are probably saving that. <laughs> I'm with what Peon said. 100% it's complainers and whiners that critique, er, and critique that pushes the genre forward. It does when you're specific with your critique. That's where I'm very critical. There's a rule on my Discord and frankly on all of my platforms that gets mentioned quite a lot. And it's called rule number four. This is a legendary rule on the Discord that people love to swear by or love to uh, hate in a certain regard. Now, rule number four is a simple point that I make, right? It's any point that you make must be substantiated either in explaining your opinion or when stating facts that you need to back up with an actual reliable source. So say, for example, when people just say things like, oh, this sucks and it failed. Did it really fail? Like, how are you defining how it failed? You have to explain your argument. And so what you'll often find is that my problem with uh, most criticism is when it's either misguided or it's just basically completely kind of like rail ended, I guess, if that makes sense, where it's like you um, in this particular case. If you're going to make a point and you actually care about discussion, you're going to be willing to explain your perspective, right? You're going to be willing to explain your perspective. Whereas if you're just going to say something matter-of-factly without offering any sort of like background source or really anything to make a tangible argument, your outrage isn't as important. And so let me rephrase that. An angry mob with a bunch of pitchforks and torches is needed for change. Let me put that out there, right? Every now and then you need an angry mob to say, stop doing this shit, right? You need that. But what if the angry mob doesn't actually know why they're complaining or what they're critiquing? Could you imagine the ramifications of such? 
maybe like think Salem witch trials and shit like that. Imagine you just start like killing developers, publishers, and like other ideas just because of like a general dislike, right? That's kind of my point here is that the most important aspect of the criticism that always has to be accompanied with it is an actual argument. Like what's your actual point? For example, if you don't like pay to win because you think it incentivizes bad business practices, that's an argument, right? But saying it's pay to win, so it sucks, not really an argument. And so what I often find is that, unfortunately, certain things kind of get ruined because of this. Say, for example, early access. Now, early access, <laughs> it's, a, it's a clown fiesta. I know, I realize that. There's a lot of bad early access games, and there's a lot of bad business practices with early access. So there's a lot of good criticism to be had about that. But riddle me this, right? How can a small RPG company fund a game if they have no audience, no marketing, and no budget? The only way they could is through crowdfunding or early access. And so when it works, it works fantastically, right? Because you give an artist or, or a dev team the ability to create a great game and the resources, you know, sorry, the, the resources to create a great game. Shovel Knight, um, obviously, you look at, I'd probably say the most popular, hmm. What's the most popular uh, Kickstarter game that, that launched that was pretty successful? It might, I mean, Shovel Knight's pretty up there for sure. My point being is, is when we have these smaller scale indie studios and, and, and developers, they need also to have an, a way of kind of impacting the market. They need a way to get funds. So early access can get them funds, right? Whereas uh, crowdfunding can also give them funds. Now, the problem arises where if we just blanket say all crowdfunding is bad and all early access is bad, then we by nature take away the ability for people to create these games, right? And you might ask, well, why do we want developers with no money to create games? Because they're basically the only ones who are going to create the kind of games that we're actually wanting at this point, right? Like the way the market works is until something is innovated, the big publishers, in this case, the big MMOs, have no reason to change their models at all, right? Until an innovation comes out and basically like puts them on their, on their asses or shows them that something can work in the market that they're not currently servicing. We kind of need the small man to be the one to help us out in, in regards to that. So you look at Project Gorgon on Early Access or uh, Grand Screa, and these are two MMOs that, in my opinion, are very fair in their, in their aspects with using the Early Access kind of you know model, if you will, while also actually implementing new changes and such. So early access can work, Kickstarters can work, but I think that back to what Ulysses said about, you know, Peon saying that ultimately critique and, and bitching is what makes things happen. I agree with that, but it does have to be kind of like couched in a specific way. Because if we just end up killing certain industries or certain aspects of games, basically just because we're just like, you know, painting them all with the same brushstroke, that can be problematic. I think I think that makes sense. Two hours notice. I uh, appreciate appreciate that card. Thank you. Um, let's see. Early access can destroy the first impression of the game. It can for sure, and that's why it kind of has to be looked at in that certain regard. Is like when you're going to play an early access game, you have to think to yourself: Is this an early access game in the sense that they need the money in order to make this game? Or is it early access because they just don't want to pay for all of the costs and they know that they can just sell it to us before it's ready? Like with ARK. 
like with um, our boys at Wildcard Studio and Snail Games. Those are the ones that I have problems with. Why in the hell are these giant publishers and developers still doing early access? This is not made for you guys. Like, that's where I get annoyed is why are they doing it? It's like, imagine, guys, if Lucasfilms announces or Disney announces that they're going to do a new Star Wars MMO and then they announce it as an early access game or they want to crowdfund it. Like, do you realize like how much people would just fucking laugh in their face and be like, are you kidding me? Like, why would we pay you to make a game that you can already afford to make when you're going to be asking for our money anyway? <laughs> that, that's what the, the problem to me with early access is, is it's all the other people mucking it up. <laughs> Same thing with crowdfunding games. It's, all, it, it's, the, it's the people who kind of mess it up and then everybody lumping them in together. It kind of ruins it all for all of us, really. It's easy money and you can still fail and have sold well. I mean, <laughs> I can't make an argument against that, unfortunately. <laughs> you look at the success of uh, Ark Survival Evolved and it's just like, that thing kind of shuts me up sometimes when I make arguments because it's just like, I don't know what to say. If, like, if you're going to get that easily misled and keep being misled, I don't know if I can help you as a consumer. <laughs> I don't know if as a content creator, I can help you. I think you might be a lost cause as a consumer if you're not learning already. Let's be honest. Most AAA titles are early access now, whether they say it or not. Fallout 76, WoW, BFA, etc. I mean, that's a pretty good point. I think there's a very fair argument there. All right, so I'm done ranting for the day. Uh, I did a little bit of that already. We talked about combat systems. I don't have any other topics to really go over. So what I'm going to do now is just open up the floor to uh, anybody who has a question for me. This is the call-in segment. We don't have a whole lot of time. So we're only going to have 11 minutes if people want, sorry, 21 minutes if people want to do a call-in and actually talk to me on Discord. Uh, so if you have a question, try and make it quick. Sorry, I'm trying to end these podcasts at 2.30 all the time. That way I can kind of have some sort of uniformity, if you will. Let me change the graphic on screen right here. Oh, also, we're at 30 subs right now, guys, which means that um, we're two people away. Sorry, we're 20 people away from me wearing the costume next time. Now, I thought about that some, and I was like, hmm, I don't really stream enough to really warrant 50 subs, I feel like. But I do like wearing the outfit because I think it, it's unique. It fits my branding. And it's also something that you guys are going to see a lot of me doing once I start doing live content. So I think it's kind of one of those things that might stay. But I probably will show a bit more for you guys to uh, subscribe with your Twitch Primes if you haven't already. So if you haven't used your Twitch Prime, please. Then on me. <clears throat> I can jump in and ask about the whole combat log thing if nobody else wants to. Okay, let me... Um, <clears throat> let's see. Do we have any questions at the moment? Uh, at me in Twitch chat if you guys have any questions for me. Um, you can also uh, at card and he will present your question to me and then bring you in for the hey, uh, uh, call-in segment, people, like in Discord. So you can basically ask me your question in Discord um, if you want to, if you want to call in, or you can ask it on Twitch if you're at work and you don't really have the means to go about doing that. Well, thank you, Acehule. I appreciate that. You have subscribed for two months. That's awesome. Thank you for subscribing with Twitch Prime. All right, so let's see. Have you tried the game Kenshi? I really love the limb damage system in it. 
It's funny because I've seen Kinshi mentioned an awful lot. I haven't played it yet, even though it is a kind of game that does interest me. So put it this way, next time I see it on sale, I'll have to make a purchase. Otherwise, I'll just feel guilty at this point because people keep talking about it with me. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Nerd Slayer, my 36th birthday is on the 31st. What are you getting me? On the 31st, I'll give you a, um, a metaphorical pat on the back. How about that? That has to count for something. Or um, I'll tell you what my next Death of a Game video will be after The Secret World. I don't know. You'll have to send me a message so I can remember. <laughs> Happy uh, early 36, by the way. Play lots of video games, man. Enjoy it. What do you think about long leveling processes in MMOs? Oh, why do I think that long leveling process in MMOs died and could it come back? Interesting question. So I would probably say that the easy answer is going to be yes. Because if you look at it, the earliest forms of progression were basically around a simple concept. In real life, in order to accomplish something, it usually takes a long time of doing it. In an MMO, they can streamline that to some extent. Like say, for example, to do a quest is much more manageable than like buying a new house, right? <laughs> so you can feel accomplished when you play the game. You can feel accomplished when you play an MMO while not necessarily getting everything immediately. Obviously, as things have evolved and kind of the market has shifted in ways, things became more immediate just because by nature. As things streamlined to be more theme park-esque, which is basically completely reliant on the developers making content for the players and not players creating their own content, what that inevitably did is set up a system where you kind of, whenever you release a new expansion, retcon a bit of your old uh, early level experiences. Because ultimately, if somebody buys a new expansion and they're yet to play the game, they might not want to go through the old content that's not the newest content. So in a lot of cases, people ruin their early game progression just simply because they release new expansions and they don't balance it properly. And it's because it's difficult to do. So they release these expansions, essentially retcon all of their previous balancing and, and content to where it's like essentially inconsequential to even do that content anymore, to where it ends up making everything feel like it is just by nature, in-game only. And so once you get to the end game and you kind of realize that the only progression, if you will, is just doing the same thing over and over again, it kind of makes it, it feel a little bit empty. So I think that in order for a long-term, long-form progression system to, to work effectively, it has to be one that has a gameplay system or gameplay loop that's exciting enough that you want to keep pursuing it, even just like, let's say it's just because you want to get good at it, because that's a foreign concept to many people these days. But back then, we used to play games a lot just because they had so much depth and you wanted to get good at it. So if you don't have that aspect, where it's not deep enough that you want to just keep playing it, and you don't have the complexity in the game, like maybe it's complex enough to where people are more willing to devote more time into it because it takes more time to learn. Say, for example, like EVE Online, you kind of have to find a bit of a middle ground. You have to find a way to have a combat system and a, and, and, and a gameplay feedback loop where it's not incredibly too complicated and off-putting for a more casual player while also simultaneously servicing the player who maybe wants a longer form of progression. So say, for example, there's no reason why we can't have content in the game that's sectioned off. And I know this is like a bizarre concept these days, but maybe not everybody should be raiding. Like maybe, maybe raids shouldn't be LFRs, like looking for raids. Like maybe we shouldn't do things in these very like, frankly speaking, problematic ways that are already going to cause problems just out the gate. 
maybe there does need to be content that only certain people can accomplish because by nature, that's long form progression, which means by nature, those people are going to be more willing to subject themselves to it. So I think it's kind of like getting out of the mentality that everybody has to win and that everybody can participate and getting more so into the mentality of, we want to make sure people can participate. We need to attract the casual audience, but let's also have some more deep and maybe more complicated content that's maybe only more so available for those who are willing to grind or go through the whole quest process or whatever it is, right? In order to go through that progression. But again, it becomes hard because when you're so reliant on developer-made content and you release new expansions, you're not giving your players new tools. You're just giving them essentially new rights, right? And after a while, I don't know about you guys, but I get bored of riding the same rides. So by nature, a theme park gets boring in a long-term form of progression. So I feel like it's almost at odds with long-form progression in some ways. Now, I know raiding is pretty good at it, and there's other PvP systems. I'm not saying you can't have it in a tab target system. Sorry, in a, in a not a tab target system, in a um, theme park system. But I'm just saying that by nature, when you have a theme park, you want things to be easily accessible. So you do want to have fun as quick as you can. And so by nature, it's kind of like, of course, you're going to focus more so on easy to, di to, sorry, easy to di digest content. I don't know why I can't say that. Digest. Easy to digest content versus like maybe something that requires you to kind of like form a palate or something. You know what I mean? Like you got to like really like get that kind of taste or whatever. All right, um, other questions. How can you make a sandbox old school MMO more accessible to younger players while preserving the challenge and community? So this is pretty similar to the previous question, but a little bit of a different angle. I like this question because it's one that I like to think about a lot. It's how do we make these, like, these challenging games and these sandbox old school MMO style games, how do we make them still not completely alienate new players, right? While also being able to keep that community feel. And I think the easiest way to do that is you always make new players useful. And now it might sound kind of strange. Like, what do you mean by that? Well, for example, in a game, if a new player comes in and loots a blue piece, a blue piece of gear off of a, I don't know, some boss mob at level 10, his options are sell that for trash, essentially, wear it until it's no longer useful, or in some games, maybe break it down for like one rare material, right? Okay, but there has to be more to that, right? That can't be the only way to do such a system. And to explain what I mean is, what if we had a system where when new players come in and they're grinding like low-level mobs, those low-level mobs drop something that other players still need. Like say, for example, wood or credits, right? Like it can be simple things, but the point being is that you can't have aspects of your game completely divorced from each other. Otherwise, you create this like competitive, almost like hostile environment. To explain what I mean is in most sandbox games, it's almost a rite of passage to deal with bullshit. So it's kind of like Stockholm Syndrome where many of the players are so used to bullshit and frankly things that shouldn't be in the game that they, you know, they excuse it a lot. So when new players come in and they're like, hey, this isn't fair. I don't want to have to go through all of this bullshit. People are like, well, if you don't want to do that, go quit. That's not a helpful way to look at it, right? So how can we involve those players? Well, Eve has a system as Card, I think, mentioned where you can still be outfitted with things that make you useful in a big battle and maybe even go join a faction or a big corporation. So you're still useful 
while also still being able to play the game. So there has to be ways in which newer players can get access to established communities, which are essentially designed to help players. Why? Because they're incentivized. That was the beauty of like early Darkfall was that people went to great lengths to help you out because they needed people to chop wood. <laughs> they needed people to make money. They needed people to level up. But why did that stop being the case after a while? Well, because of all of the other issues when competition and exploits and insane, you know, hacks and whatever else are like the normal thing, people don't really want to subject themselves to that much of that. So it's like either have a starter guild that already prepares people for a game, either incentivize them to be a key part of the game, which they should be anyway. If you're trying to construct a virtual world, any one player is useful. Now, to provide a good example of this, Maybe you have one guy who joins your clan. He doesn't like combat. In fact, he doesn't really want to fight. He gets killed. He gets a little bit frustrated. But you know what he does do? He chops fuck tons of wood. And so next thing you know, you come back to your uh, guild house. And this dude has like 20,000 pieces of lumber in there. And you're thinking to yourself, here's some level 10 guy who maybe I don't even, you know, I, maybe I'm not even going to see again. I don't even know him. And yet he contributed all of this to me. Why? Well, maybe he wanted me to create something for him, right? Maybe by donating that amount of money, it allowed me to upgrade the clan house. The point is, is that you can find ways to make new players useful. And you don't want to just focus on in-game being the only useful part because by nature, then only in-game players are useful. And so it's kind of like reverse engineering, uh, intricate crafting systems that impact everything, meaning it's all connected together a world that is difficult, so then therefore, by nature, you have to help and, and be helped by other people. EverQuest was amazing at that, by the way, where essentially you didn't have a choice but to play with other players because by nature, that was just the game. And that's kind of what Pantheon Rise of the Fallen is trying to go for. So I think I've answered that question mostly, but it is kind of a bit of an open-ended question sometimes. <clears throat> Do you think that a sandbox MMO, which is more forgiving and less hardcore and time-consuming than, for example, EVE Online or Black Desert has a place in the current MMO marketplace. Absolutely. I mean, there doesn't have to be only hardcore sandboxes. I mean, Minecraft is not hardcore. Like, creepers are annoying and looking for diamonds can be annoying, but Minecraft is one of the best-selling games of all time and it's a sandbox game. Like, Minecraft can get servers of hundreds of people on them. So if anything, it's like, it's a perfect example to me that you just have to know what your market audience is, your target audience is. And that target audience is are people who like to create, people who want to make pretty things and live together and, and, and interact with people and have a, have a community and stuff like that. Point being is, is like, it doesn't have to be hard, right? If that's not the focus, it doesn't need to be difficult. It's just more so that whatever you're focused on as a game, like in Minecraft, is building Building doesn't really require you to be a pro-level player. Now, don't get me wrong. There's some amazing buildings out there, but you're kind of getting my point. Is that just about anybody can build or at least try, right? All right. And then I have a couple more text questions here. And then I wanted to do uh, maybe some quick questions in chat. Um, I have like 10 minutes. Let me power through these really Basically, to answer that uh, question, Sacrilegious, I think is how you pronounce your name. 
uh, it depends on what the vision of the game is. If exploration is the focus, if building is the focus, if non-combat focused things are the focus, well then, of course, it doesn't need to be super difficult. You don't make things arbitrarily difficult. You make them more so difficult because you want them to, uh, you want players to work together, basically. And you want it to be difficult to accomplish, uh, accomplish things. The, the reason why people love classic WoW so much and classic EverQuest is that it's pretty damn hard to do the 40-man raids. Talking about action games, have you played indie action games like Lugaru and Overgrowth? If yes, what do you think about their combat systems compared to Jedi Academy? So I know about Overgrowth, and I think it looks pretty impressive, especially for the size of the team. But I'm not really familiar with this uh, Lugaru game, so I have to look this one up. It has a... Oh, so th is this like the same like kind of thing? So I don't, I don't know if this is... um Like the... This looks like Overgrowth. I love the idea of things like this that focus almost completely on combat systems and, and also having good physics is because... <laughs> what am I even watching? Because ultimately, that's what's going to inspire people to want to do it, you know? Huh. This is interesting. So you can almost, like, create your own scenarios. Yeah, this, this in some ways reminds me of, like, Neverwinter Nights module system with an added benefit of obviously having a more robust physics and combat system. This also kind of, I mean, really, you look at something like this and you think about the potential of how this could affect... Um, sorry, I haven't been showing this to you guys. I'm an idiot, but... Um, it, it, uh, it shows you of, like... You think about Mountain Blade. Like, what if Mountain Blade could get a multiplayer persistent universe? I know CRPG does in the previous Mountain Blade, but I'm talking about the newest Mountain Blade. Maybe we could have some sort of scenario like this where it's essentially like a, maybe like a mini MMO, maybe like a multiplayer game, lobby game, whatever you want to call it. But it has a server structure where you can customize the server and really just create emergent content. Because ultimately speaking, developers, some have realized it, but not all of them. But ultimately, the majority of the big heads in, in MMO development, and I'm saying like the big OG developers, they've realized that developer-made content is not the future. It just can't be. It's too expensive to make. And so by nature, the best thing to do is to create really good systems that you can then incentivize people to want to participate in because they can create their own world like this, right? This is just some other options or ideas that I have as well, you know, tying this into overgrowth of how you could affect an MMO. I'd love more customization and frankly speaking, more physics-based uh, combat systems. So I've only seen gameplay of it. I haven't tried it myself, but again, it's one of those things where... When you guys tell me about cool things, when I find them on sale, I always try and pick them up. Okay, um, what else? Got like seven minutes. All right, looks like that's the majority of the questions in chat. Um, did anybody else have a particular question you wanted to ask me in voice quickly? I've got time for at least one if somebody had a question they wanted to talk about. How, how long was overgrowth and development? Long time. I think it was like one or two guys that work on it, though. Oh, it looks like we've covered the majority of the questions. I don't see anybody joining in chat. So I want to thank everybody uh, personally for stopping by and watching the podcast today. Uh, of course, you know, you know me, I'm NS, Nerd Slayer. By the way, I'm going to rebrand to NS at some point. 
I, I don't think I've told all of you guys that, but it's just a no-brainer. Nerd Slayer was my was my name that I used whenever I did like pro competitions and tournaments and shit. It was never really meant to be my like alter ego for my channel, nor my channel's actual brand. It kind of was just one of those things where I was like, I kept it, and then I kind of branded everything to be NS, which is obviously a lot more mysterious. So I think um at some point you guys will see we're gonna get a new set of art done by our illustrator, Miguel, who obviously he hand draws everything. And then we're going to um hopefully rebrand and I probably say the next year because I'm looking at NS as the name, which is just going to be spelled out like most likely like this. And it's going to have like a, a you know, a snazzy, sexy kind of basically um, simple looking uh, uh, logo. And there's a lot of cool design. I'll show you guys some here. This is kind of like the kind of vibe I would go for, which is very Sherlock Holmes, very Death Note, very noir-like. I want something that's kind of like simplistic, but also has a nice little like a bit of sleekness to it. Like this one. I like this one, though it's a little bit hard to understand, so it's probably too stylized for me. But something like this even, this is kind of like the idea of something that I have. Um, <laughs> the the NS logo shows up. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, yeah, I mean, as for what the, the company is going to be called itself behind the channel, we already have that in mind as well. And it's going to be something very, I, I can't explain it yet because copyright trademarks and uh, LLCs have to get formed first. So I don't want, <laughs> I don't want people stealing all my shit. Um, that's kind of why I keep a lot of shit under wraps. National Socialism, <laughs> Netherrealm Studio. Hey, I remember that one. He's he's turning into L. I mean, it's kind of like the the idea of the branding that I'm going for. You know, <laughs> it's funny to say, but uh, it's kind of true. That blue and gold one is obnoxious to look at. Uh, which one is that one? Was that the one with all the stylized looking shit? Yeah, I would probably agree with that. Like, your brain can't even comprehend what it's trying to tell you, which is not what I want for a logo. Hey, what's up, uh, Varelestra? 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 Oh, the third one? Yeah, yeah, I, I get it. Could be confusing because in France, there's a group of young men who have a gaming review channel called Show. NS. Is it N.S, though? I'll have to look into them. Show. By the way, hello from France. Uh, I don't know if you yourself are in France or if you're maybe a French-Canadian, but if you're in France, man, France has a huge uh, gaming audience. I never really realized that. I think I'll be okay. Looking at their channel here, I'm not too worried about it. Based on the way that their branding looks compared to how mine would look. It has NS in common, but so do many things. Mine's NS initials, which is, you know, very specific. NS initials, uh, sorry, <laughs> NS initials are more so like, like this kind of thing is what I'm looking at. Something that's more stylized like that, where, well, these are a little bit too modern looking. I want something more classic looking because it has to fit with the vibe of the channel. And this is a little bit more classic looking, but this is kind of the idea is that it's supposed to look almost like initials because 
the the story is is you know the detective that you see here uh, the the wannabe detective essentially i'm the wannabe detective i'm the i'm the content creator wannabe detective journalist guy who's trying to solve as many mysteries as he finds essentially interesting right in gaming but the uh the persona of the character which is the one that's drawn is different that character is a lot more pensive he's not as like humorous he he's focused more so on uncovering whatever the mystery is he's almost in some ways like a 2d character it's supposed to be more so like uh he's a detective that's involved in all of these stories being solved which means that when you guys see me like this in a skit for example when i'm dressed up in a skit i'm going to be playing a persona not really myself but when i'm just on camera just shooting the shit it's just going to be me just relaxing so put it this way it's going to be highly stylized whenever we do skits or certain types of content to where you're going to know that I'm playing a persona versus when I'm just like, now nah, I'm just shooting the shit. So anyway, more hats, more costumes, all of that sort of stuff is stuff that is planned as well, along with the, the idea of the chant. You know what? I feel like I should, I should tell you guys, um, I should leak the, uh, the Patreon video to you guys because you're still here. Many of you are still here, even though I said goodbye to you. So I feel like you guys have earned it. You've clearly showed um, that you're interested. And frankly speaking, I had a really hard week with all of the, you know, the, the whole stuff I told you with my family going through, you know, I, you know, you guys will hear my story at some point, so I won't have to tell it to you guys all the time. But long story short, I had a pretty hard childhood. And so I had to go through some shit recently and it made me really think that I have a lot of shit here that I want to do and I, and I have a lot of stuff to do and that means I got to start doing it. <laughs> Delete the VOD. Warning spoilers. Well, I'm not too worried about the spoilers. All right, so I'm going to show you guys some quote-unquote big spoilers. It's not really spoilers because this is all going to be outlined on the Patreon. No, you, you, don't, pay, you don't pay money for the video. The Patreon video is just an announcement video. None of my videos, currently speaking, are locked behind a paywall. The only thing I can ever imagine that I would lock behind a paywall, and I'm letting you guys know right now, is if I did live stream content um, at events. Like, for example, Geek and Sundry, they do their um, critical role on, you, or sorry, on uh, Twitch. I would probably lock that behind a paywall because, you know, it, to me, it seems fair. If you support me as a subscription, you get access to all of it. If not, you can just watch the VOD whenever it releases on YouTube. So it's like, ultimately, you're still getting everything for free. You're just it's like a time thing. Pay to watch. <laughs> I, I was just telling you guys, that's the worst case scenario you'll ever see with me with having paid content per se is just, uh, I would probably incentivize people to maybe want to sub if I was doing like a bunch of live content on Twitch or whatever. But, uh, anyway, that that's so far away. Once you guys see what I have planned here, it'll make a lot more sense. All right. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to read everything to you. I'm just going to show you the main goals. I kind of don't really want to pitch this to you guys because it's going to be in the video but i'll give you like a how about this i'll give you like an elevator pitch all right so the idea pay for early access <laughs> to be fair just so you guys know many people do this so i'm not pulling this out of my ass like it's it's just sorry it's just a smart way to make content if you're going to make free content for people who watch it on by the way <laughs> I just realized when it comes to talking about paid content, you have to add a lot of caveats. Otherwise, you can get people really mad. Okay. So the way that Geek and Sundry's system works 
is that if I want to watch their, um, their Critical Role series, I must have a subscription through Geek and Sundry, right? I can watch any of their other kinds of content, no problem. Oh, I guess this is one of theirs that you can't watch. So what's one that I can watch? Maybe all of it is like that. No, I know they have some content that's not hidden behind a paywall. I don't know. Looks like the majority of their content is hidden behind a paywall. Anyway, that's not how I would do it. How I would do it is simple. You would have a uh, Twitch stream that would basically be like Critical Role except Mafia. That's, we're, we're trying, okay. I don't want to spoil too much for you guys, but I'm trying to do the Critical Role equivalent of, of the live party game Mafia. That's one of my huge goals. So the way I would do it is if you watch it on stream, you watch it for free. But if you want to watch the VOD on stream, you have to be a sub. And you might ask, well, that's not fair. Well, basically within the next week, we would release it on YouTube. So really, it's not really like, we're not holding it hostage for a year like Epic Games would. It's more so because ultimately speaking, it's going to be sub chat only. So why not just, if I'm going to make it sub chat only because I don't want people to spoil things and ruin shit. Because basically put it this way, if you spoil shit on my on my live mafia and you're just like being completely, you know, annoying or whatever else and just ruining the the fun for everybody, you're just going to get banned because you're ruining the fun. Like the suspense actually matters. So like what if someone just shows up to the event, sees who wins and then just like types it in the chat whenever they want. You see what I'm saying? So it's like keeping it as a subscriber only also holds people accountable in that respect. So I think I made more sense to you guys. So sorry if it came across as if like I'm going to paywall my content or something. That's not what I have planned at all. All right, so specifically, I'll give you guys my quick little pitch of what the Patreon video is basically going to be about. Okay, so about two years ago, two years and two months, technically speaking, maybe three months now, I created uh, the Nerd Slayer brand, right? My channel technically had been existing at that point, and I had put out a couple of videos, but I had no vision of like what I would do with my content. It was kind of just like a hobbyist, right? <clears throat> I accidentally stumbled upon the Death of a Game series. And the funny thing is, is like the origin story to me is hilarious because basically my girlfriend asked me one day, she says, why did Star Wars Galaxies die? You always talk about it so positively. So like, what was the reason that it failed? And I realized, even though I played it for thousands of hours, I myself didn't really know exactly. Obviously everything that came to mind was NGE, the Jedi, you know, the obvious shit. But I was like, huh. So I went back, started playing Star Wars Galaxies on a couple of private servers, both the uh, S uh, WGMU as well as the, back then it was the um, Legends server. And I thought to myself, man, I don't know actually. Like I, I can't answer that question. That takes a, that's a, that's a hard question to answer. And so of course I did my first death of a game on Star Wars Galaxies. And I mean, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's just pull this up for, for the comedic effect, because I'm sorry. When I watch my old videos, I can't help but just cringe, man. It's cringy for me. <clears throat> All right. My first serious video essentially I made on the channel was probably my character analysis video, as well as my look back. These are like more like, I'm actually trying to write in these. These are horribly like edited though, so please take it easy on me. But listen to the sounds in this. 
focused on expanding the space portion of the game, but also added things like races and a trade profession that focused on creating spaceships. Shipwright. Although the jump to light speed... I was using a super old, like, headset mic that was, like, $30 mic. I had no sound control, no foam, no quality mic, no no uh, quality headset. I had no sound control, meaning like I in the, in the actual software, I couldn't hide for noise. You would hear noise is, in the is back. True? Is this really happening? It's well, there, there's a segment of players that obviously are going to be resistant to change, and uh, we experienced that in the... Galaxies is a little more than buggy, incomplete time sync. Now, <laughs> it literally just sounds like I'm just reading it off the script, which I was, obviously. My point being is this is how it all started, right? Like, it started like this. This script took me 8,500 words, I think it was. Let's, let's actually, let's double check that. Ooh, you guys are getting to see the behind the scenes of my Google Docs. All right, so let's look for my Star Wars Galaxies video. Which should be somewhere in here. Uh, boom. boom. Death of a game, Star Wars Galaxies. All right. So back in or back then I did it much differently. Look how I used to do my scripts. <laughs> look, look at my scripts now. They're all like designed into like scenes and we we like have like the format. Here's the vision, here's the voiceover. You haven't even seen the timeline section which is located at the top which I normally have showed you guys. For example, if I bring this up and I and I bring up my um Secret Worlds one or Actually, I'll bring up my Telltale one because it's very uh, well fleshed out. It's probably one of my best timelines I've ever done. Let's see. Uh, Dirty Bomb. Telltale. Here we go. All right. So here's how the beginnings of my uh, scripts kind of work. I take whatever images I find that are useful, insert them, essentially. Like, this is useful. Um, and then here's my timeline. And most of you know this, but I go through the timeline... Well, I didn't do this before. I didn't do pros and cons. I didn't come up with a prognosis. I didn't have all of these like particular useful bits of information that I find. Like, you know, here was like a developer leaking something, meta scores from their other games. So you could have a comparison between those uh, important articles and bits of information that I put here. It's highlighted because it's quoted and it's from an article, etc. This is what I started with, right? Can you imagine how long this took me to do? It took me so long to do because I just had never done something to the level of this before. I went through the, the, the time to do the reviews and all that. So the point being is like basically the entire series and the channel itself started on a whim, right? Just answering a simple question of like, why did this game fail? And it made me realize that I could do it like people like Clean Prince Gaming do it where it's like I say maybe a whole lot of something without saying a whole lot of anything, right? I could do it that way. Or I could, as much as I could possibly, you know, afford or find, look for every bit of information that I could possibly find, right? Look up everything. Build a timeline. Look for interviews that give me relevant information. Look for post-mortem interviews. Sometimes you find those. The, gamer, uh, the games archaeologist on uh, uh, Engadget does a really good job of that. Um, he does like kind of like almost like post-mortem pieces and stuff. Point being is like I realized I had to step the game up. I had to increase the research, increase the quality, hire an editor because my editing was utterly horrible. <laughs> so I had to hire an editor, which, by the way, when I say hire, I mean like have him as his third job, right? 
mods need linking privilege. The rebanding is done. And so a lot, a lot of just problems, right? I encountered and I had to come up with solutions. Now, I realize, you know, now being two years into it, we've put out like 30 something death of a games. We've covered a lot of different things and a lot of different interesting topics. And it kind of made me realize like, I looked at Lazy Peon in the, in the space and I saw what he did. And I think that he, and I still think that he does a great job at servicing his audience. But then I noticed that there is some room, right? There's, there's niche room in there for somebody maybe to have a more focused approach. And when I say focused, I mean post-mortems, views, deep dives into like maybe combat systems or why particular things are better. I wanted more kind of like produced content, I guess you would say. And so on screen, I'm going to kind of tell you guys some basic ideas for shit that we have planned. Um, pull up, sorry, I'm trying to... I've got so many like secret docs on my screen open. I'm trying to like <laughs> trying to find the like safest way to not leak all the super important shit. All right, so I'm going to show you guys what we have planned uh for the channel. And these are going to be based on stretch goals while also uh based on uh Put it this way, with the rebrand, with the Patreon platform relaunch, if you want to put it that way, and channel relaunch, if you want to put it that way, is going to come a lot of shit that comes regardless if people give me money or not. Because like ultimately, yes, I need money to make more ambitious content, but I can also still increase and improve the quality of whatever I currently have, right? Okay, so for example, here are some of the goals that I have on the channel. And um, again, these are... The, the, it gets progressively more difficult, as you can tell. Now, the first graphic that we have, currently we're at $250 raised on Patreon. $250 raised. That's currently how much we raised. Now, you might be asking, why are you moving to Patreon in the first place? And essentially, the simplest way to put it is that I realized that by focusing primarily on YouTube as my source of income, it kind of puts me in a precarious position. It puts me in a position where I kind of don't have a choice but to cover whatever is popular. And I hope you guys realize that. that. The reason why I don't do more ambitious videos or more niche videos or even more niche games is because I, I can't, guys. I, I have to live, right? <laughs> you know, like I have to afford to, to, to live as well. So to a certain extent, I have to cover, sorry, I have to cover games and stories that are more so current news and more so popular. So what I realized is that this isn't really good, right? That's not good. If I want to make content specifically for the market, specifically for my audience, an audience that I believe to be kind of the one who's essentially a lot more willing to kind of dive into things, I kind of can't really rely too much on YouTube. You see what I'm saying? Because essentially, in order to make that kind of business model work on YouTube, you have to be unbelievably popular, right? And so it's pretty difficult to just do it in that way because frankly speaking, think about it this way. Um, you guys, and I mentioned this before, um, you can see how much money I make. Like, it's not a secret really. It never has really been a secret how much money I make. You can come here and in the last 30 days, you can see what I've made for the what my numbers are. Now, as you can possibly imagine, 931K views for my kind of content is pretty good, right? 
because it's a it's it's a longer form content. But is it enough to live off of? It isn't because you might see this amount, for example, right? Which, by the way, let's say this amount's current, which it isn't. This is behind. That that amount's a little bit outdated. But let's say it's current. Okay. Once I subtract my costs as a person, that's what I that's what I have left over, right? Now, if I also sorry, if I also take this and multiply it by 0.25, which is what I pay my editor. All right, so sorry, that's plus 1,075. So I have $1,075 left over from this particular, uh, from all of my expenses, from paying my editor, and from basically doing nothing new to the channel. Not increasing my production, not traveling to an event, not hiring my editor full-time because I can't afford it, not uh, getting more art for my illustrator because I can't afford it. You see kind of my problem? I'm in a position where I'm creating a business and yet I'm also trying to pay for the cost of it growing. And it's pretty difficult. So it's like, I'm realizing that's why so many people rely on Patreon ultimately is because it's, it's a more kind of like official, you know, structured platform where you can outline what you're working on and people feel like they're more invested in you because they have more of a personal relationship than maybe just being another view on your YouTube channel. So you can imagine like, don't really make a whole lot of money, right? Now, <laughs> Limpos brings up a good point. You might ask, well, how do other content creators make a lot of money, right? Like for example, um, Clean Prince Gaming. How much money does Clean Prince Gaming make? Probably the same as me, right? That'd be fair, right? He makes, <laughs> he makes nine times what I make. Do you think he makes nine times the worth of, qu of quality of content necessarily, right? Like, I don't know. Please don't suggest all his videos to me because I'm watching this. But I don't know. That's like, wa watch one of his videos. Do we really think it's like a, I don't know, monetary barrier? Doesn't it make a whole lot of sense to avoid the battle pass at all and continue to monetize the game in the ways that you already were? I'm not going to subject you guys to have to watch this content. If you think it's good, uh, then, you know, we disagree. Feel free to go actually watch, like, what I love to do with, like, content like this is go through it and really try and leave with, like, a notepad of, like, what the major points are of the video, like I do in my video, on purpose, by the way. Imagine trying to leave a video with, like, a notepad of, like, okay, what did I learn from this video? And a lot of the time with Clean Prince videos, I, I feel like I don't learn anything, right? And so one of my problems is, is that, he basically tries to put out, if I remember correctly, he puts, it says right now, he puts out about three videos a week, at least. Now, is that possible for me to make three videos a week or four? Absolutely. But I need to make more money in order to do that. You see my problem? Because I can't pay my editor to do more videos if I don't have the money to pay him. Because ultimately I'm paying him to do more. So it's like, if I can't pay him to not have two other jobs, then he won't be able to keep keep doing content. And so you might ask, well, why don't you just hire some other kind of like editor, like a lower quality editor or something, just whoever editor, because I mean, I mean, you guys saw my telltale video. You saw my Star Trek video. Um, my editor is damn good, right? He's damn good at his job. <laughs> That's why you want him as your editor, not because you can just hire any editor. My point being is that you look at the kind of content that does really well on his channel and it's basically 
clickbait as, as much as he possibly can trying to make you react to something, right? Ba Bioware accidentally makes Anthem better. Um, ripping off GameStop. And I'm a GameStop employee. Basically all the same kind of shit that you would expect. And again, more power to you if you like this kind of content. The reason why I point this out is that YouTube is not equivalent. And the reason why I brought up what Limpos said is Limpos has a, a running joke around here that he dubs my alter ego Bias Man. And Bias Man is Clean Prince Gaming, essentially, in this case. Like, Bias Man is the guy who doesn't really care about really solving, like, the story or telling the story. He just kind of wants to talk about whatever's there, right? Like, he's biased. Like, he doesn't really care about doing all the journalism. And so Bias Man makes a lot of money. So maybe I should be Bias Man. Maybe I should get, you know, review copies and get paid by uh, these companies to do reviews. Or not, right? You guys don't want that from me, right? Because if I'm paid to do reviews, if people pay me to do mobile games and whatever the fuck else is out there, no offense to people who do that, it's just not for me. If I do all of that, not only does it lessen my integrity, it also kind of hurts my brand, right? And so it's kind of like being biased, man is the most successful way to make a business. <laughs> it, really, it really is. Like, if I want to make more money, be more biased. But I don't want to. And so you see kind of my dilemma that I kind of have to, I realize that I'm going to have to make a push towards using Patreon if I'm really going to go after the kind of content that I want to go after. And by the way, I saw that in chat. I already made that point earlier. So huh, I stole your guys' joke about me still being here. Okay, so... You might be asking, okay, well, how do you go about doing that? Like, how are you going to go about doing that? And that's kind of where my plan comes into play. And the, the video will explain it more, but I kind of wanted to give you guys like the sneak peek, like a, or a sneak peek, like I said. All right. So the first goal is $1,000, which is 1,000 people donating $1, which basically means 750 uh, more people donate me $1 because I have about 250 right now. Let's say um, that's like uh, times three, right? Or sorry, times four. I, I'm a big kid now. I know how to do math. All right. So if I, if I grow at least four times the size of my Patreon, it means that I can do a brand new series, which we've dubbed, uh, dubbed Fatal Flaw. Fatal Flaw, for those who I haven't already uh, told this to, which I don't think many of you know about it. It's a RPG series, essentially. It's more so for single-player games that highlights games that I really, really like but games that kind of have like a particular aspect about them that either takes their immersion away or kind of like, quote unquote, ruins it. So it's a bit more of a conceptual video and they're supposed to be 10 minutes or less. They're going to be more so for kind of like, it's almost like, did you guys ever watch uh, Did You Know Gaming? I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of this channel, um, but Did You Know Gaming has some pretty cool videos that they do where it's basically like, very short, but kind of heavily produced and um, informative videos. And so they have like these shorter videos that they work on that are heavily produced. Game to test for quality assurance. Push and that's kind of like what they do, right? Vertically that's basically the idea that I'm having, except obviously dubbing it Fatal Flaw fits the, the theme of my channel, right? The whole detective theme. It means that I can build a, uh, a graphic around all of that and tie it into my um my uh brand if you will the nerd slayer brand or more specifically ns the noir theme the detective stuff um so that that's like another video that'd be coming out a month 
But that's not counting also that we would be doing the four weekly podcast episodes, which we're already doing, plus the Friday stream every Friday. So that's four Friday streams. In fact, it's not mentioned here. I think I might have actually forgot to mention it in the video. <laughs> so I might have to fix that. But there is also a new initiative that I've been working on with the channel that also is supposed to be up here as well. And that's, um, you guys have seen me kind of do it before, but it's when I cover more current news topics. And no, I try and cover some of these on my um, podcast, but they're kind of harder to cover in some ways. Because like, say for example, if I want to outline to you guys what I'm looking for and how, or what my expectations are for the uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines game, I don't think I can do that in a podcast. I feel like I need more time to do that in a video. So it's like, I want to do more current news videos, which are basically like, 10 minute or less videos that are very low, like very simply edited that focus more so on listening to them and me kind of reporting on things. So like as my channel grows, these will start to be filmed live, just like the podcast, just like the Friday stream, uh, the, the Mafia Friday stream and et cetera. So the idea is eventually get to the point where everything is shot live, right? Death of a Game is gonna have skits. Fatal Flaw, probably not. That's more like produced. Uh, the podcast, obviously, I'm going to have a studio designed for that. Current news videos, those are going to be me staring at a camera with like a, you know, basically like a whole set design. Like this is not what I would be doing right now. Like this is all I have right now because I don't have any more room in my damn house. <laughs> I mean, there's like already two computers in here. And if I turn the camera around, you'll see that my lights are basically roasting me in this corner over here which is all the space I've got. So basically that's kind of like the first stretch goal. And it, it doesn't have to happen all at one time, right? It happens over time. Now, if you look at, for example, uh, what Super Bunny Hop has on his Patreon, right? And just get a bigger house. Just get a studio, bro. Come on. <laughs> what are you thinking? Just make more Death of the Games. That's, that's always my favorite criticism. It's just make more of them. As if I could just like summon them out of nowhere. All right, so when you look at Super Bunny Hop, he's about three times the size of me on YouTube. Um, but one thing that I find interesting about uh, Super Bunny Hop's content is it's very similar to mine, right? He, he, he actually makes uh, very deep. Also, we'll cover every now and then. He does deep reviews. Every now and then, he'll cover current news, but very rarely. And he'll also go into kind of like obscure topics, like why Japan's gaming bars are fighting for survival, which is a fantastic freaking video, by the way. Please watch that. This is the kind of journalism that I wish I could do more of, frankly speaking. And so I look at Super uh, Bunny Hop really as the kind of like template for the kind of content that I want to do. More live content, more getting out there, going to events, going to conventions, traveling. Remember the video I talked about where it's like, what, why are the business models from Korea, from Japan, and uh, Europe and America all different? Well, I want to answer that question, but that kind of takes some resources to do that. So I bring him up as an example because he was able to raise $4,000. So it might make you kind of realize that the number of amounts that I have on mine aren't really nearly as crazy. Like say, for example, he states that at 42.10 a month, he's going to have an office space dedicated people that work with him as well as business trips. Whereas, you know, my mind is fairly realistic in that re uh, regard too, right? Now, goal number two, as you see here, is basically like, I think if his goals, if I go through his goals, okay, so... His go the same way. 1,000 is his first goal, followed by 2140 um, for his second goal. And the way that mine works, essentially, is... Um, if we can break this second goal, which is very realistic for us, 
right? Very realistic. Everything that the first one promises, right? So all of this shit, all of this shit is promised. As well as we want to do a monthly webcomic for the patrons only, which are those who donate $1 or more, which is going to be obviously done by my uh, illustrator, Miguel, who does fantastic art, but I just haven't afforded been able to pay him to do more art. So we want to have like a monthly webcomic where it's just going to be basically humor and, and silly things like that. And I know for many of you following me here, you, you guys already subbed to me or already uh, are my patrons. So I'm not selling to you guys. I'm just kind of giving you the uh, look, look under the hood, if you will, or the look behind the curtain. Yeah, webcomic is kind of like, uh, like, I, like I put here. It's, um, it'd be done in the style of like Penny Arcade Expo. You know, where it's like basically three frames and then it's like a joke. It'd be done something like that. Like, that's kind of like the, the style we're going for. Again, just more things to increase the branding and also put out more art assets out there. Because right now we don't have a whole lot and that's not by design. Like we want to have more artwork out there. All right. So the other thing that's on here is, is uh, the most important thing, really. Well, one of the mo more important things is we then have the ability to redo our old kind of shitty death of a games. These are called remaster or redux videos. I mean, I mean, can you imagine like what I could do with Star Wars Galaxies now that I have the resources that I have now? Right. I can talk to Raph Coster like I could reach out to Raf Coster, the lead dev on the project, and ask him, why do you think the game failed? I could uh, completely redo my voiceover, polish up my script, and also less, or increase the quality of the editing. So it's like, again, the idea is that you can redo previous videos that were done shittily because, frankly speaking, they need to be redone. I can tell better stories and tell the story in a much better way, right? Now that I have you know, more experience in the field. The final thing and the most important thing about this to you... Uh, tier is tom would become a full-time editor now you might be wondering okay where is all of this money going and basically the way it works is that goal one i give 500 dollars to tom that's why he creates this new series for me you understand the second tier i give tom a thousand dollars of my two thousand dollars doesn't seem like i'm money hungry right when i'm paying him half of whatever the patreon goal is but why is that because the number one bottleneck is getting him full-time right? So that's, that's kind of where the money goes. The other 1000 obviously, that just goes towards the amount of time it takes to create all the other kinds of content, basically. And then the final goal, and this is basically like the last thing you're going to hear me talk about here, because uh, I'm running out of energy, and I think we've gone over quite a bit already. So I'm probably going to cut the podcast at two hours. So that way, they, they don't get all this excess shit. <laughs> they don't get the behind the scenes shit. Sorry, you got to watch it live. All right, but goal number three, we have a $3,500. And we might drop it to 3K. We're not entirely sure yet because, again, we, we don't even know like the idea of how much money it would, it would require, really. And the idea here is, again, everything the same except the major difference is that we will have studio, we will have production quality required for a studio, we will do and shoot live Mafia games in the studio, which will be filmed every week, and then we will do live content at every major event, essentially. And, you know, it could just be skits or maybe we cover a game that we want to cover. What I mean, there's always content to be made at events, right? And so th this is like the final 
tier essentially of the channel, like the final form, the Omega form. If we can get to goal three and whether or not it's through completely Patreon or a mixture of YouTube as well, this means that I'll be going to all the major events with a camera crew, right? And I, when I say camera crew, by the way, let, <laughs> let me throw some number signs on here really quickly for you. This is the production I would gain from this acquisition. And for you know, some of you guys, you might be wondering, how on earth are you going to get that level of production increase? Right? That's a huge amount of money of equipment. How are you going to be able to afford that $70,000 production increase? It's because with the acquisition of this goal or a completion of this goal, it also allows me to hire a friend of mine and also longtime videographer. Uh, Adun is his gaming name. And uh, Antoine is his uh, real life name. He owns a, uh, a, uh, a film business as well as a, um, I would say like a um, event business, I guess, event coordination business. So he has a bunch of uh, camera equipment that he got through the acquisition, you know, loans, building his business up, et cetera. So essentially right now he has over $75,000 worth of production in his like house, right? Just laying there, right? And he needs that in order to do, you know, all the kinds of uh, video content that he needs to do, as well as work on movies, which was like one of his ultimate goals. Obviously, it's hard to break into that industry. So it's like, he wants to make videos. I need somebody with the ability and skill to make videos, which you guys will see his quality on the Patreon video, by the way, because all of it is filmed in 4K. All of it is filmed in 1080, uh, sorry, 4K, um, 1086, uh, 1080 PS. It's 4K or 60 fps but most of the content's 1080 60 fps i should say just because it's easier to film with all cameras on the same wavelength uh sorry the same uh project rate we made a mistake where we were filming one camera with 4k then one without and we would have issues kind of like with the the way that it would come across with like the frames and stuff sorry i'm word spitting what i'm trying to say here but basically you guys will see in that video the level of production this guy is capable of. He has professional camera equipment. When I went to PAX Unplugged, guys, I had a cameraman with professional camera equipment and I had a sound guy with another camera. Like, think about that. I was going around with microphones interviewing people. Like, I have never had that level of production in my life. And so it, it was pretty nice. It felt pretty good. And it made me realize there's so much content that we could do like this. And so having me walk around the PAX Unplugged floor talking to gamers and developers alike, it, it just kind of made me realize that, you know? And he's been eager to kind of work in something and find something more to do than just kind of events, which at the moment is like a lot of weddings, you know? He gets tired of doing the weddings over and over again. So that's kind of like the idea is that obviously I'm not going to get $75,000 worth of the, the production all at one time, but that's just what he has available to him, right? As, as a, as a uh, videographer. So, l you know, long story short, we have a lot planned for the channel. And once you guys see the level of quality that we can produce with this kind of uh, content, this number is going to shrink dramatically, especially as everybody starts to contribute. So I'm excited for that. I think ultimately speaking, it makes more sense for me to be based on Patreon than on YouTube because if I'm based on Patreon, it means that I'm going to have, basically there's me, right? The content creator, my team, and then there's the audience. And that's the barrier, that's it. Content goes directly to whatever my audience wants. 
So whatever kind of videos my audience wants, whatever ones that they suggest, whatever ones that they find interesting enough, that's what I do. And you might ask, well, why can't you just do that now? Well, like I said previously, in order to make that kind of content, you need to have some level of support already. And I can't afford to get 40,000 views on a death of a game. That's, that's a, put it this way, that's a financial loss for me, right? I can't make 40,000 views on a death of a game. I need, to, I need to make more than that, just based on how much time and effort it takes to make those kinds of videos. Anyway, ranting a little bit, but just trying to tell you guys that I'm just excited, if you can't tell. And there's so much in store and I can't wait to unveil it all. This video should be coming out today or tomorrow. I don't know if you noticed, but you could see up here in the corner that uh, um, my, uh, my editor is currently working on it. You notice that? This anonymous cheetah? I think this is my editor already working on the video. So that's good news. And um, that means that I can finally leave you guys today. Don't worry. Whenever I upload this on the podcast, uh, YouTube, you know, channel, um, sorry, on the YouTube channel, upload the podcast. It's not going to be all this excess stuff. You guys got this as a sneak peek behind the, behind the fedora, behind the scenes, if you will. NSVR. <laughs> But uh, you were the guy that pushed me to do interviews. I always ask myself why you didn't do more of that. Huh. I pushed you to do interviews? That's awesome, Carla Luca. I'm glad that I had some sort of like impact to make you want to do that. Because yeah, I pushed myself to want to do interviews too, right? <laughs> Behind the fedora was a pretty good one. All right, guys. Um, anyway, that's all I have for y'all. There should be a video, like I said, coming out a little bit soon. I have this Kickstarter report card coming out as well. And then the secret world is targeted as I said in the Discord, for uh, the following next weekend. So that'd be the first, or sorry, the 8th of April is when the Secret World video should be completely done. So yeah, we have a lot of shit planned. We're not slowing down. I might've had to take some time off to you know, reevaluate some shit, but uh, I think I'm realizing that um, you're gonna notice a lot of big changes. I'm going to be registering an LLC. We're gonna be coming in, or we're going to be becoming an official business. You know, we're going to have eventually a business of operation, a studio, which is the ultimate goal. There's so much planned. So I just, uh, I want to personally thank you guys for just supporting me, period, honestly. As I say in the video, to support me, you don't have to give me money. Not everybody can afford it. I couldn't afford to give some of my favorite content creators money when I was a kid and younger as well, right? I just, I need, I was strapped for cash. I couldn't afford it. But I don't just need your money for support, guys. Just being here as support, just posting on my videos, liking my videos, talking to me in Discord, talking to other people in Discord. There's a lot more ways that you can help. So just don't feel bad or feel guilty if you can't donate a dollar or whatever else. I don't hold that against you guys, right? You can support me in many other ways and you guys have been. So I just want to say thank you for all of the support. Thank you for watching the podcast today. This was episode 26 and this was my long uh, winded behind the scenes look at what the Patreon speech slash video is going to be uh you know unveiling today or tomorrow and then what's in store for the future of the channel i'm starting to sweat in here which is usually a good sign that it's time to leave so i want to say goodbye to you guys a later and uh happy hunting detectives